Where it began, I can't begin to knowing, but then I know it's growing strong. Do 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 do. Was in the spring, then spring became the summer. Who'd have believed you'd come along? Do, 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 do. Hands, touching hands, reaching out, touching me, touching you. Sweet Caroline, bum, bum, bum. Good times never seem so good, so good, so good, so good. I'd be inclined, bum, 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 to believe they never would. Happy St. Patty's Day to ya. Welcome back to another episode of A Star is Born. I'm your host, Chris Arneson. It is St. Patty's Day, 2019. Tap the morning to ya. Hope you ate your lucky charms this morning. Um, Beautiful day today. Beautiful day in Pullman, Washington. Icy blue skies. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Uh, It's about, let's see, recording this, 12.34 p.m. right now. Uh, Sunny day. If you haven't listened to the first 26 episodes... Go ahead and do that. Start with episode one, Will Ferrell. Work your way up from there. But uh, if you have, you know I'm an author from Pullman. Pullman, Washington. Um, holding it down right now. A Star is Born HQ. Second floor of the coffee house apartments. Looking out the window right now. Across the street from Washington State University. You can find my books on Amazon, Kindle, and Barnes & Noble. Uh, Sponge Cake, a mostly made up story about a completely insane town and what's in the fridge. Check out my blog, thegoat1.blogspot.com, my website, chrisyauthor.com. Follow me on Twitter at chrisyauthor8 and Instagram at chrisarneson8. And thank you so much for share, share, sharing the podcast with a friend, family member, coworker, anyone, everyone. Doing it big, doing it live, doing it real, doing it, doing it, doing it. So much fun. Um, yeah, I'm having a blast. Um, I'm so happy you guys are listening and telling people about it. Spreading the good word. Building that uh, Milky Way of starfishes. Um, so much fun. Let's get into it. Before we get into Elizabeth Banks's IMDb and all her films, let's start off with the... Uh, normally we would do the pin of the episode, but no more pins. We're all done with those. So let's let's do the... Recipe for Success from cook, Cooking the Fast Way, the uh, Maywood Hills re- uh, recipe book. Uh, let's see. This is from Tina Houston. Diane's Chicken Salad. I don't, why is it not Tina's? should be Tina's Chicken Salad, shouldn't it? Strange. Um, let's see. Ingredients. 1.5, one and a half pounds of chicken breast cooked and cubed, four ribs of celery, half red onion chopped, one and a half cups of red grapes, two Granny Smith apples peeled, cored, and sliced, 
three-fourths cups of pecans chopped, one and a half cups of mayonnaise, two garlic cloves pressed, two teaspoons of dill mix, one small wedge of parmesan grated, and one half head of curly leaf lettuce. And your directions, combine first six ingredients and mix, combine mayonnaise, garlic, and dill mix, add to mixture, grate parmesan over salad and mix again, top with grated parmesan again before serving, line bowl with curly leaf lettuce, and fill in with salad. Bada bing, bada boom. Sounds good. Chicken salad. I like a salad with uh, some substance in it. Bacon bacon bits are always good in salad. Um, let's do one more because that was a short one. This one's French onion soup. And it has no name next to it. So it's under uh, Tina Houston's. Uh, so we'll give Tina Houston credit again. Tina's French onion soup. A quarter cup of shortening. Four large onions thinly sliced. 4 cups of beef stock, quarter teaspoon of pepper, salt to taste, 1 teaspoon of lemon juice, 6 large golden croutons, 6 tablespoons of, grate of grated parmesan cheese. And directions, heat shortening and cook onions over low heat until tender, stirring often with a fork to separate onion slices into rings, add stock and pepper, bring to a boil, add salt and lemon juice, keep hot. When ready to serve, ladle soup into individual casseroles or soup cups. Place a crouton on each serving and sprinkle each crouton with one tablespoon of cheese. Make six servings. Um, there you are. Let's do one more short one here. Just one more. Tina Houston again. A hamburger chowder. Chowder. One pound of hamburger. Six cups of water. Six cups of tomato juice. Three small onions chopped. Six potatoes cut up, six carrots cut up, six beef bouillon cubes, celery chopped, seasoning to taste. And directions, make meatballs if desired, brown hamburger, add all ingredients and simmer until vegetables are done. One half cup rice or barley can be added, cook until done. Hamburger chowder. Just reminds me of a hamburger helper, which is a classic. It's a classic college staple. <clears throat> Using my green Bic Brightliner marker today to cross off stuff. My uh, yellow legal pad um, in honor of the holiday. Uh, let's see. Right now, let's do the Road Trip America by Andrew F. Wood. Let's read about North Carolina. North Carolina. Good old North Carolina. Let's see. There's a picture of White House Restaurant, which is a Western choice cut of sizzling steaks. And looks like a pretty basic little white little building right there. And Teddy Bear Motel, four miles west of Cherokee, North Carolina, on US 19. <coughs> a little sign for it. Colorful little sign. Um, and then the Howdy Maggie... Uh, you are now entering Maggie Valley, elevation 4,000 feet. That's and it's a picture of a headless woman who's waving. It's kind of creepy. I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I like that. I guess that's Maggie right there. Um, uh, let's see. Did you know? Let's read the fun fact. Did you know 
White Lake, north of Elizabethtown, claims to be the nation's safest beach. <coughs> Excuse me. Celebrated for its white sand, clear water, and utter lack of tides, the spring-fed attraction has attracted tourists since it was opened in 1901. Every May, local hosts, um, locals host the White Lake Water Festival, complete with classic car shows, tractor poles, and live entertainment. White Lake Water Festival. I always I like a good festival. Not not a big uh, car show person though. Although, I've never been to a car show. That is something I'd like to go to. But it's not, I don't know a lot about them, so I'd rather be looking at the outside of the car than the engine, I guess. People who look at the engine, like, know what, know what to look at. I'd be, like, faking it. Like, oh, yeah. Look at those pistons. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Because, yeah, I, I drive a Honda Accord, so I've looked at my engine, and it's very, um, how do you describe it? Very neat, very uh, organized, not not as exciting as like a American-made car engine, I think. I think the Japanese car engines are known for being uh, more like efficient, I guess. All right, let's read about North Carolina here. Fast food first. North Carolina may be known for tar and its nickname in, in the tobacco products that help support the state's economy. But the state is also known for a much tastier treat. Krispy Kreme donuts were born in Winston-Salem in 1937 when Vernon Rudolph started selling the gluttony-inducing confections through a cutout hole in his shop. Today, lines snake for blocks every time a new Krispy Kreme franchise opens its doors. Oh yeah, Krispy Kreme's maybe my favorite donuts. Maybe my favorite. There's one down Issaquah, which is like 40 minutes from Bothell, where I grew up. So it was a far drive to get some Krispy Kremes. Always a treat. All right, here we go. Of course, the Tar Heel State is known for all sorts of history, and its intimate relationship with wind and water created a perfect combination for the world's first successful powered flight, now commemorated on the eternally evolving dunes. Nearby, like an artifact of an ancient Society long lost to the sands of time, the miniature castle at Jockey's Ridge State Park provides an eerie reminder of the power of nature, making the eighth hole of a miniature golf course now covered by the largest natural sand dune on the east coast. The castle appears and vanishes depending on the wind. The dune itself more uh, moves like a living organism, covering about 400 acres by the beach. On gusty days, which are frequent, kite flyers and hang gliders ply the breezes in search of the perfect combination of wind and fortune. Close by, you can walk on a path marked by stones where the Wright brothers took an even bigger chance with the fortunes of flight. Heading inland past Greenville and Wilson, North Carolinas, uh, North Carolinas continue to seek the breezes for sport and pleasure, but few have turned the wind into an art form quite like Volus Simpson. Uh, his home, speaking of the Simpsons, we'll, we'll do the Simpsons episode after this. Uh, his home near Lukama displays a field of whir- whirly gigs, three-dimensional structures that spin and turn according to their balances and access to a good breeze. I had no idea that that's what those are called. My mom has a few of those in our backyard back home. 
They're called whirly gigs. Okay. I thought they were just like mini windmills. Um, let's see. The best way to imagine a whirly gig is to picture a huge mutated pinwheel sold at an extraterrestrial circus. While some whirly gigs are tiny enough to fit in your hand, others tower over 40 feet tall. Oh my gosh. Augmented with reflective parts, the whirly gigs attract motorists day and night. Often prized as folk art, Simpson's passion for was featured at the 1996 Atlanta Olympics. When driving the highways and byways toward the eastern half of North Carolina, you might pass a pause to consider an important question. Who is James Polk? For many Americans, the question elicits an empty stare, but Pineville's James K. Polk Memorial wants to change all that. Within the compact Presidential Museum, you'll learn about Polk with the aid of displays, costumes, and political memorabilia. Older kids may enjoy the 19th century notables interactive display, which challenges people to match the names of Polk's historical contemporaries with their pictures. Other displays convincingly demonstrate the impact of the spirited age on the United States, a nation transformed from the Jeffersonian cult of the rural farmer to the industrial age with its attending explosion in population and technological advances. Advances. When you're through, you'll have received a deeper appreciation for one of North Carolina's favorite sons. Um, very good. Interesting. It's like one of those classic games where I like those games where you have to mix, uh, mix and match the pictures with the people, that kind of stuff. Those are always fun little tests. I love it when you're at a museum and then you find like a, a test. That's always fun. I always do those just for test my skill, test my knowledge, my wit, even though I'm not getting like graded or anything, but I said we do the Simpsons episode, so let's do it. This is episode 15 of season 12, aired March 4th, 2001, Hungry Hungry Homer. I chose this one in honor of the Hunger Games, because Elizabeth Banks stars in Hunger Games. So, um, yeah, there's your connection there. This is a really funny episode. Homer episodes are some of the funniest ones. Um, Homer becomes a good Samaritan after discovering the simple joys of helping people in need, which is put to the test when he goes on a hunger strike after the owner of the Springfield Isotopes baseball team attempts to discredit him when Homer stumbles on his plot to discreetly move the team to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And they are the, um, there is a baseball team called the Albuquerque Ice Stoves, so I think that was like a play on that, but this is a funny episode. He chains himself to, let's see, Homer, uh... Homer becomes thin and sickly, and he nearly gives in after seeing all the fans eating at the ballpark, but he gets visited by the spirit of Cesar Chavez, looking like Cesar Romero, since Homer does not know what Chavez looks like, telling Homer not to give up. Thinking Homer's gone crazy, and his publicity is wearing thin, the team's owner unchains Homer and, in a public ceremony, offers him a free hot dog. Homer realizes the hot dog is topped with southwestern ingredients 
which he describes as the kind of bold flavor they enjoy in Albuquerque. The crowd then takes notice that the hot dogs are wrapped with Albuquerque isotopes paper. That's so funny that no one knows that before. Uh, Realize that Homer was telling the truth and become enraged. So there's a little uh, spoiler alert on that episode of Simpsons. Sorry, I didn't warn you there. Um, yeah, Simpsons, my favorite show of all time growing up. So I haven't watched it much lately, but let's do the Mariners update. <clears throat> I found out why the Mariners aren't playing their spring training games. I was discussing that in the past couple episodes. Um, we were doing like Yankee scores in honor of friends um, because the Mariners weren't playing any uh, spring training games down in Arizona. But they are playing in Japan. So they played yesterday in Japan, or 13 hours ago. Um, Mariners win. Mitch Hanniger, Jay Bruce, and D. Gordon all go yard in an exhibition game versus the Yomiuri Giants at the Tokyo Dome. 6-4. to So, um, and Ichiro, Ichiro rocks the Tokyo Dome. With like a, you got a huge ovation from the crowd, of course. Um, there you go. So the Mariners were playing. That's why they had a little break from spring training there. As for your NBA update, um, let's see. There's a big game. Well, today's a big day for college basketball. Cause it's the day where the bracket is announced. Oh, a huge day. So that's not for a couple hours. So if the podcast goes. If we're going long, we'll have to check on that. But as for NBA news, the Sixers are playing the Milwaukee Bucks right now. That's the battle of two of the top teams in the East. That game's in Milwaukee, which is Fiserv Arena or Fiserv Forum or whatever, which is actually the company that uh, my dad has worked for for a long time. So that's pretty cool. That It's pretty neat that his company sponsored a the Milwaukee Bucks, because I think that's where their headquarters is in Milwaukee. So um, they have like a suite, which is pretty awesome. And he said they're actually, I think they're going to a game pretty soon, like this season, in like a few weeks here, because the season ends pretty soon. So yeah, I'm like, that's awesome. And the Bucks are so good this year. So the first team that his company sponsors the, uh, the arena, they become like the best team in the East, basically. So it's pretty awesome. But, um, yeah. Oh, but speaking of the Bucks, Malcolm Brogdon, who uh, he's like one of their point guards, he's likely out six to eight weeks. Let's see what, let's see what he's going to be out with. Um, he's a good, whoops, he's a, I think he won like rookie of the year. Like, um, with a minor plantar fascia tear in his right foot. Actually, he may have been a... Now I gotta see if Malcolm Brogdon... Let's see if Malcolm Brogdon was a most improved. I think he was. Oh, whoa. I don't want to click on that. Clicked on this weird, like, Google sports patron. Uh, let's see. I believe he was most improved. Oh, no, he was NBA Rookie of the Year. Yep. Um, that was a 2016-2017 year. Got drafted out of Virginia. 
Virginia Tony Bennett, uh, former Wazoo WSU Cougar coach. But, yeah, there we go. I think now, let's hop into, actually before we hop into Elizabeth Banks IMDb, let's talk about a few things that I wanted to chat about. So, um, oh, this was something, just kind of a random thought, kind of a riddle. Um, I don't know what it is, a joke riddle. How many modest mice would it take to defeat a band of horses in a fight? How many? The answer? 311. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why I thought that was funny, but I liked it. Um, here's another observation or thought I had, just a thought that popped in my head. Uh, why did Why did Vin Diesel So y'all know how Vin Diesel changed his name? He his real name uh is Mark Sinclair and he changed his name to Vin Diesel. But I'm like why did he change his name? Like, Mark Sinclair is already a really cool name. So, I just think Vin Diesel got kind of greedy with the cool... He got greedy with the coolness on his name. Um, that's just another... <clears throat> a seed of an idea. <clears throat> a thought that was bouncing around my head. Um, oh, this was something I want to talk about. I was going to compare... I was gonna... Let's be honest, because... Honesty's number one theme of the podcast, obviously. Y'all know that. Um, I was going to do a Venn diagram of 2018 Aquaman versus the Aquaman from uh, the TV show Entourage, the uh, HBO show. But instead, I just ended up writing this down. Um, so when Vinny did Aquaman, why wasn't Turtle in the movie? <laughs> like, <laughs> Like, don't you think Turtle... Turtle should have been there, like, right by Aquaman's side, like, swimming in the ocean. Just being with the other turtles. I don't know. That's just something I thought, too. So, I don't know what you think about that. Um, let me know. Uh, let's see. What else did... Oh, we want to chat about my pie graphs. I've been doing pie graphs. That's another regular segment. So, here I did one for my favorite veggies. That's kind of in honor of St. Patrick's Day. Because a lot of them are green. Um, here we go. So let's start with 2%. Uh, 2% cucumber. 7% lettuce. 13% broccoli. 14% tomatoes. 18% pot- potatoes. Uh, and the grand winner. This is a maybe controversial. 46% Brussels sprouts. Ooh. I just, I like Brussels sprouts. Um, I guess you could say this for like any vegetable, but if you like grill them up, if you grill them up, they're really good. So maybe not like cold Brussels sprouts, but definitely grilled for sure. Um, there you go. There's my favorite veggies. Some of the other ones that got left off the list, some of the honorable mentions, carrots. Um, let's see. Oh, kale. Actually, I never eat kale. What am I saying? I don't know if I've ever even tried it. Maybe a couple times. Uh, artichokes. That's okay. Those are all right. Celery. Celery doesn't really have... That kind of just tastes like water. Like, you gotta go with, like, peanut butter if you're going celery. 
Um, okay, here's something I want to talk about. So I got a pencil. I got a pencil over here. And it says, John J. Hemmingson Center. And where is that? It's on the campus of Gonzaga University. Uh, up in Spokane. Spokane, Washington. My sister went there. Um, yeah, that's the Student Union Building, J.J. Hemmingson Center. A super nice, I got to walk around, we walked around it. Um, they have a cool, like, outdoor balcony for, like, an outdoor room for studying, I suppose. It has, like, a nice balcony that overlooks the, uh, like, soccer field and, like, intramural, like, football field. Uh, got a nice fireplace, like, recliners, couches, all that jazz. Um, really nice student union building. Um, I don't know, kind of, kind of more upscale than, than the Cougars, than the old Cub. Cub is, Cub's built for more people though, that's for sure, because much more students at Wazoo than Gonzaga. Um, but anywho, that brings me to, I wanted to chat about, uh, my sister's graduation party. Just a little fun memories here. Oh my gosh, this was so embarrassing though, what happened. So, um, this is a funny story, I thought. Um, so we are, she's having a graduation party at her house. She had like eight roommates or something, like 10 roommates or like something ridiculous. Like they lived in a huge house. So I, I was looking at a picture on the fridge of a person who was surfing. And I was just like, I just said, I don't know why I said this. I didn't really say it to anyone in particular, but there's a bunch of people around. I was like, who's that dude? And like, I like. I was like, yeah, who's that dude? And and then, like, I don't know, everyone started laughing or something. And then my sister was like, that, that's my, that's one of my roommates. And it was, like, one of my sister's, like, girl roommates. And then she was, like, standing right there. And I was, like, right away started, like, sweating bullets. Like, you know when you want to, like, just, like, sink out of a... Just slip away, slip away out of a room without anyone even looking. <laughs> just disappear without anyone noticing. Oh my gosh, it was so funny. It was so embarrassing for me, though. I mean, sure, it was embarrassing for her, too, though. <laughs> I felt really bad, but I think, I hope she laughed. I think everyone laughed a bit. Um, but yeah, I thought that was, that was something. And then another part about my sister's graduation party was one of her roommates had a really cool... A uh, room with a wall that you, it was like a big black like chalkboard basically, and you could just like write on it. And she had a bunch of writing on it. I think she had a ton of different pieces of chalk, different colors of chalk. But I thought that was really cool. I was like, that's something. I kind of put that in the back of my mind. It's like something I would like for a future, like a future house, if maybe a cottage in the forest or cabin on a lake or high rise in the city or a mansion by the sea one of the types of places i would like to live but maybe one of those places will have a or maybe all of them will have a giant chalkboard giant wall that is all chalkboard i liked it and it was like curved a curved wall really cool um and then one other thing about gonzaga was they have a cool uh their mascot is the Bulldogs. If you're not a college basketball fan, don't pay attention to Gonzaga. But they have a cool 
giant bulldog statue outside their basketball arena. And I just remember getting the picture just sitting on the giant bulldog. And I liked, like, I think I did that when I was going for a walk with my mom. One of those, one of those times where I'd go walk it to get coffee with mom. <laughs> um, yeah, that was a good memory too. So that's all the Gonzaga memories there. And um, let's see, let's get into, I think now is a good time to get into Liz Banks. Let's do it. 19, what? This is crazy. I can't believe she doesn't have a credit till, I'm surprised her first credit is 1998. Thought it might be a little sooner, but I guess not. 1998, uh, Surrender Dorothy. She plays Vicky as Elizabeth Casey. Huh, is that her real name? Now we gotta see if that's her real name. Is she, is she like a Nicolas Cage? Like, he's like Nicolas Coppola, right? Uh, Elizabeth Banks. No, her name is Elizabeth Irene Banks. Mitchell. Wait, why does it say Mitchell? Oh, no, her name's Elizabeth Irene Mitchell. Ooh. So it's not Elizabeth Banks or Elizabeth Casey. Hey. Hey, okay. Um... TV series, 1999, Third Watch, Elaine El- Elchisak. One episode. Uh, TV show, 1999, All My Children. One episode is Rosalie. Rosalie. 1999, Uninvited. Plays Lady Reporter as Elizabeth Marisol Mitchell. Marisol. I don't, I don't know where the Marisol came from. She got all sorts of stuff going on with her name. Um, 2000, she's in the TV show. The well-known, internationally renounced... Renounced? That means bad, right? Wait, renounced means bad, right? Um, I mean renowned TV show. Sex in the City. Catherine. One episode. Uh, she's in 2000 movie Shaft as Trey's friend. Is that the one with Shaft? I've never seen it. Um, Samuel Jackson. Okay. Get these snakes off this mother flipping plane. Um, 1999, or I mean 2000, sorry. 99 minutes. Radar action crime thriller. New York City police detective John Shaft. Shaft? I think I've... I think they parried it, or they made fun of it on, like, Family Guy or something. And it was just like, do shaft. <laughs> just some song. I don't know if it's an actual theme song or not. Uh, nephew of the original 1970s detective. Oh, so there's an old 1970s TV show. Oh, okay. Goes on a personal mission to make sure the son of a real estate tycoon. That's my favorite computer game, real estate tycoon. There should be one of those, like roller sco- like roller coaster tycoon. Why is there not a real estate tycoon? You just get to purchase condos on the beach and stuff. Buy, buy hotels, buy boardwalk. It's kind of like Monopoly. Real estate tycoon. 
uh, is brought to a justice after a racially motivated murder. There's been a murder. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. She's in this classic that we talked about in episode four, Paul Rudd's episode. Wet Hot American Summer plays Lindsay. 2001, she's in Ordinary Sinner as Rachel. 01 TV show Law and Order. Everyone, remember right? All these actors are on Law and Order, or a lot of them are. Uh, SVU, Special Victims Unit. Jaina Jansen, one episode. Oh, I do not remember her being in this one. 2002, Spider Man, Betty Brant. It's a classic, the very first Spider Man. Toby McGuibes. McGuibes? <laughs> McGuire. McGuibes. Um, Tobes. Tobes McGuibes. <laughs> 2002, Swept Away. Which place? Debbie. This looks like a... Let's see what this is. A smoothie socialite is stranded on a Mediterranean island with a communist sailor. Wow. Madonna is in it. What? 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 Uh, 2002 TV show Without Trace. She's Clarissa for one episode. O2 Catch Me If You Can. Lucy. O2 Video Stella Shorts. 98 to 2002. Woman at Yoga Class. Stella. That's the uh, Michael Showalter. Is one third of that from Wet Hot American Summer, author of the the cat book that we read so much. Guys can be cat ladies too, or how was it? How to be a guy, cat lady, cat lady guy. Um, two thousand three, the trade. She is Sue Seaver. Oh wow, she's in this one too with Tobes Tobes McGuibes. Two thousand three, Sea Biscuit. Marcella Howard. <clears throat> this is a great movie. This is my favorite horse movie. For sure. Got this one at, on DVD at home. On the on the bookshelf in the TV room. It's a long it's a long movie. 140 minutes. PG thirteen. Drama history sport. True story of the undersized depression era racehorse whose victories lifted not only the spirits of the team. Behind it, but also those of the nation. Jeff Bridges is in it. She biscuit. She biscuit. Um, two thousand four. Sexual life. She plays Sarah. Also two thousand four. Spider Man two, as Miss Brant. So she was Betty Brant. Now she's Miss Brant. Um, 2005, Heights, plays Isabel. Oh, this is something, here's something I wanted to check out. It's something, so let's take a break, a little break from uh, Liz Banks. <clears throat> let's look at, this is ESPN Magazine, uh, The Fiction Issue, May or March 7th, 2011. Wow, so this is over eight years old now but my dad gave this to me because we used to subscribe to ESPN magazine my dad was like 
you should check this fiction issue out. And I think I've read like one or two of the things, but let's check this one out because this is also based in um Spokane, Washington. Spokane, where my where my parents are moving. So um let's do it. This is called Bleacher Couch Man by Jess Walter. One day, future archaeologists will dig up the bones of these men in the rubble of what was once Spokane, Washington, and conclude that there, that here fell a fearsome band of noble warriors. To illustrate his theory, Cole Griffith offers his friend, his friends, his bo- broken self, fractured re- fractured wrist, separated shoulder, torn ligaments in both knees. What else could they think I'd been? The other warriors chime in. First, Eck, blind cab driver, then Hadel. Gerald Ford, then Van Goose with the truth. Middle-aged basketball player who didn't know when to quit, but Cole with a revelation is a puppy with a shoe. No, this is what happens, he says. One day you're chasing a mammoth to feed your family, and then you fall into a crevice. A hundred thousand years later, you're in a museum, or you're on your way to see a courtesan. Vesuvius erupts, and thousands of years later, your corpse is a tourist attraction. As he speaks, Cole pours himself a quarter glass of beer. He will do this all night in a losing attempt at moderation, short pouring his way through two pitchers. Just watch us get ready for a game. Braces, splints, wraps, bands. We're like soldiers, man. The guys who come across our tomb will write epic poems about our glorious deeds. Um, X says, I hope we get someone who writes buddy co- comedies instead. And Hadel Marcy's going to kick my ass if I'm entombed for all eternity with you guys. <laughs> but Cole, Cole is rolling now, holding out his racked, his racked hands, unfurling his jammed and broken fingers. Imagine what they'll make of these, a healthy, vital man with hands that look like they belong to a 90-year-old woman. It's too much for Eck. Did he just say his hands belong on a 90-year-old woman? And Van Goose, keep your hands off Hadel's wife. This goes on for three more hours, or as these guys measure time for eight pitchers and two whiskey rounds. As one by one, Cole Griffith's saber-sharp insights are turned on him by his friends, his teammates, the fierce band of marauders of which he considers himself the leader. It is a Tuesday night, and these are the fire, fireside pub foaming 40s of the Spokane County Recreational Basketball League Double C Division. Let's, uh... Let's leave it on that cliffhanger. Just, just I wanted to give you guys a little peek, just a little sneak peek at that, you know, not too much. Um, oh, this is something I was working on. It's from uh, my 300 writing prompts book that my mom gave me for Christmas. So it's just a bunch of prompts, and I've been writing in it, using it as kind of a journal, I would suppose. Excuse me, I would say. Um, so this one is, complete this thought, today I hope, and here's some of the things I said. Today I hope I heartily lose myself in laughter. Today I hope I improve in some minuscule way. Today I hope I meet someone new. Today I hope I make a new friend. Today I hope I have fun. Today I hope it's a positive day and step in the right direction. Today, I hope I move toward my goals. Today, today I hope I help someone. 
Uh, I hope I improve someone's day. I hope the sun shines. I hope it's fulfilling somehow. I hope I make a memory that will I'll always remember. I hope I try something new. I hope I work hard. <coughs> and then this one, the prompt is, describe your memories of a piece of furniture from your childhood home. And I wrote that wooden treasure chest. Um, and it sits in the corner of our TV room to the right of the TV. And um, yeah, in the corner, past the uh, leather couch. Oh, the comfy, comfy leather couch. Nothing comfier than a... But then the cat, oh my gosh. Our kitty, she scratched that leather couch so much. Pretty much used it as a scratching post. Even though she's already got a giant scratching tree. That's just, that's kitty for you. She's trying to send a message. Send a message through scratches. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> here we go. That wooden treasure chest. There's always a quilt on it, on top of it. And uh, that puffy blue blanket that Athena used to sit on right next to the couch. And um, to the couch and treasure chest, the same one that used to be on my bed. What's in that treasure chest? And then this, yeah, what's in that treasure chest other than gold doubloons and old porno magazines from the 70s? Question mark. <laughs> and, and um, yeah, I'll, I have to write the rest of that one still. This is another one. A new Broadway musical is about your life. Come up with a title for the big show and write a mini review of it. Uh, I don't know why it says write a mini review. And then they gave me the whole page. So it's like, just say write a review. But anyway, the Broadway musical that I came up with, the title, The Panoist. You've heard it before. I've said it. I'm the panoist, the pano man, uh, starring... Myself, Chris Arneson. Extra, extra. Witness the brave man who travels the world in search of the perfect photo, one that captures as much as possible. Chris has been described as having the eye of the fish by many critics, possessing the keen instincts so necessary to stay in the game in the hard-nosed, very specific arena of panorama. Does he have what it takes to make it to the next pixel? <clears throat> Um, slicing, slicing and dicing his way through continents with low regard for the good of humanity. The panoist is tireless in his pursuit of perfection and its rewards. Perched atop a Ferris wheel on a bustling boardwalk, he strikes again, snapping a beautiful wide shot of the, of the ocean in all its glory while snacking on a del delicious blue cotton candy. Uh, far below, far below the sea, Snooba-ing with the seahorses, question mark. Uh, no matter, no matter for the panelist who carries on, um, carries an invincible waterproof case for, for his iPhone that he uses while vacationing in the Bahamas. Although there's no true off-season for our hero as he is known to storm out of a luau when the sunset hour becomes nigh. And that's all I have for that one so far. Just want to share those with you. Um, I love that writing prompt book. Any writers out there listening, definitely check out, maybe invest in one of these uh, writing prompt books or just Google. Google. You could Google it. 
I suppose, just different writing prompts. Just a really, it's like a really good way to like stretch your creative mind, make you think about like things you might no, not normally write about, uh, which is, I think that's a good way to break out of the ordinary, break out of the everyday usual of writing, I suppose. Um, I don't know, that's, that's how you grow, I, I think. You have to do different things and try to try to learn learn from experience or learn from uh, I don't know I don't know <laughs> let's get back to Liz Banks here for a little bit kind of just like fizzled out there on that on that uh, rant all right here we are we were at Heights let's see what Heights was it was 2005 she was Isabel um, spanning 24 hours Heights follows five New Yorkers Challenge to choose their destiny before the sun comes up the next day. That's one of those sun movies. Um, it's another New York movie. I feel like, is, is Spider-Man a New York movie too? It is, right? Um, I think it, let's check Spider-Man 1. I, I believe Spider-Man is definitely in New York City, isn't it? Uh, when bitten by a genetically modified spider... A nerdy, shy, and awkward high school student gains spider-like abilities that he eventually must use to fight evil as a superhero after tragedy befalls his family. I still think it's New York City. Let's, uh... I think we should, um... double-check it here. While we're doing that... Let's see, is there anything else here I wanted to mention? Oh, yes, I never mentioned... Why I chose North Carolina. Um, why did I choose North Carolina? Because they're infamous Outer Banks Islands. Um, yeah, the whole Banks connection there. You know, it's on the eastern side of the state. By the on the ocean, kind of goes down the whole coast. Uh, let's see, is Spiderman in New York City or not? Spider-Man, yeah, is a city that is home to one of the most recognized characters, Spider-Man. It's New York City. Yep, okay. Just wanted to confirm that. Good. I'm happy that we confirmed it. Uh, let's see. Let's get back to where were we here? 2005, The Sisters. She plays Nancy Peckett. And I'm going to look up the um, North Carolina. That's where the... Lots of... The Notebook was in North Carolina, famously. I'm trying to think of other movies. Oh, Bull Durham, of course. Um, well, has there ever been like a Michael Jordan movie? Space Jam. That wasn't... That was Chicago, though. That wasn't North Carolina. Uh, let's see. First, I'll go movies. North... Carolina. Um, sh shot in North Carolina or set in North Carolina? Let's use set in North Carolina. Could be just both. What? The Descent. We talked about The Descent. Apparently that's set in North Carolina. What? We talked about that one a few episodes back. That was the spelunking one. Um, let's see if they have any other Shallow Howl. 
Bull Durham, yep. Tin Cup. Tin Cup's another Costner. Costner feature. Cold Mountain. Message in a bottle. Kiss the girls. Kiss the girls. Kiss the girls. Uh, Vacancy. Bright Leaf. The Deadly Invention. Cape Fear. Oh, that's a famous one. Sims, the Simpsons parodied that one. That was one of the funniest Simpsons moments ever. When um, Sideshow Bob keeps stepping on the rakes and they keep flipping up and hitting him in the face. And he steps on like like a hundred rakes and it just keeps going. It's so funny. Um, okay. There's been... Oh, Talladega Night. Yes. Did I say that was my favorite Ricky Bobby movie? I hope I said that was not my favorite Ricky Bobby movie. My favorite Will Ferrell movie. It's definitely my favorite Ricky Bobby movie. Um, yes, Tally and Knight is set there, of course. I hope I said that was my favorite Ferrell movie. Uh, let's check a Talladega Nights 2. I want to see if there's going to be a sequel, because there should definitely be a sequel for this one. I want to see if they're working on it. Um, his latest revelation has seen him admit the possibility of competing in NASCAR for Puma as well. Wait, oh, that's Lewis Hamilton they're talking about. As competing in NASCAR for Puma as well as starring in the film Talladega Nights 2. Will there be Talladega Nights 2? Okay. There's like some speculation, but looks like nothing solid. Um, where were we here? 2005, The Baxter. That's also, speaking of Michael Showalter, um, he plays, Car- or she plays, Liz Banks plays Caroline Schwan, speaking in North Carolina. Caroline Schwan. Um, let's look up the Outer Banks, like we said we were gonna. So the Outer Banks, barrier islands off the coast of North Carolina, Separating the Atlantic Ocean from the mainland. Their open sea beaches, state parks, and shipwreck diving sites make them a popular holiday destination. Uh, Roanoke Island was the site of England's first settlement in the New World, an endeavor sponsored by Sir Walter Raleigh. Wow, I thought Jamestown... I thought Jamestown was the first place they went to. I guess maybe Jamestown was the first settlement. But no, that's it. It says Roanoke Island was the site of the English, England's first settlement. Okay, because Jamestown's just more well known. But uh, we went there. We visited there during the uh, Virginia wedding. Oh my gosh, I don't know what they're called, but I think it's called the stockades. Isn't it stockades the giant pieces of wood that form like a giant fence? Those were I just remember those. Those were so cool. Um, let's look at Outer Banks right now, though. <clears throat> see if there's any interesting. I want to see, oh, shipwrecks. Let's see, a uh, graveyard. Oh, graveyard of the Atlantic is the nickname of the treacherous waters and location of numerous shipwrecks off the Outer Banks of North Carolina. Graveyard of the Atlantic. Sounds like a wrestler. That sounds like one, like The Undertaker, like where he vacations. <laughs> That's his favorite vacation spot is the graveyard of the Atlantic. That's funny. 
That's well. That's where uh, Paul Bearer, Paul Bearer, the Undertaker's manager, goes. That's where he went for his honeymoon. Um, ooh, let's see if there's along the Outer Banks navigational challenges posed by the Diamond Shoals area off Cape Hatteras caused a loss of thousands of ships and unknown human lives. More than 5,000 ships have sunk in these waters since record-keeping began in 1526. More than 5,000? Oh my gosh. Uh, Better-known ones are USS Monitor, which was a participant in the famous Battle of the Hampton Roads. What's the battle? Oh, okay. It's during the Civil War. Right when I saw, I was just thinking like ships... I saw, like, Battle of the Hampton Roads. I was thinking, like, ship race <laughs> for some reason. I was thinking, like, boat race. Maybe, I guess my mind was on uh, the Mariners' uh, hydro races, maybe. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, the Monitor foundered and sank on December 31st, New Year's Eve, 1862, off of Cape Hatteras. Survivors of a much earlier shipwreck created the lost town of wash woods virginia the lost town wait what is that what's a lost town mean oh it's oh it's just like a ghost town it's a former town wash woods virginia using lumber that washed ashore however the extreme weather eventually claimed the town as well okay um there's a little outer banks talk right there let's get back to liz banks Liz Banks, Liz Outer Banks. She's in 2005. Actually, let's look at what the ba- let's look at what the Baxter is. The style of Howard Hawks comedy. Baxter follows the twists and turns of a young man's life during the two weeks before before his wedding. It's a rom com, 91 minutes, PG 13. Michael Showalter and Liz Banks. Uh, 2005 TV show, Stella, 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 uh, she's Tamara, yeah, that's the, uh, Mike, lots of Michael Showalter, shout out to this episode, uh, 05, the 40-year-old virgin, she plays Beth, hilarious movie, like, my favorite part of this movie is when he, he's, uh, like, when he talks to his neighbor about how they watch Survivor together each week. I just love how they, like, I love, like, the community, like, aspect of it. Like, how, like, that's old, like, old school friends right there. That's, like, some face-to-face, like, interaction, you know? You don't see that as much nowadays. You don't see people going over to each other's houses to watch Survivor. That should happen more, though. People should be getting together in groups to watch Survivor. In other reality TV shows, that, like my mom, my mom does that with her friends. They watch The Bachelor and uh, and The Bachelorette. So I like that. I like I like the idea of like a group of friends getting together to watch a TV show, especially a reality TV show, because you can like debate about it, like argue what the people should do. It's on each week, and I don't know. It seems like there's more like there's more like fan fan-to-show interaction than with, like, a sitcom. 
especially with like American Idol. When I used to vote for American Idol, I used to call that call in on my home phone, on the uh, the old landline, and uh, vote for American Idol every week. I I would look forward to that. Probably voted multiple times. Love that show. Back in the day. Alright, we talked some American Idol now. Let's see, 05? Daltry Calhoun. She plays May. In small town Tennessee, a neighbor do well ma'am. Knoxville, wrestling for control over his fading golf club, is reunited with his estranged daughter, a 14-year-old musical prodigy. 100-minute comedy drama music, PG-13. Oh, Johnny Knoxville plays Daltry Calhoun. What? Jackass? Jackass himself? I did not know he was in that many serious movies. Um, oh, this one's great. This is a great movie right here. She's Starla Grant in 2006, Slither. This is directed by James Gunn, the, uh, who would later go on to become famous. Like Guardians of the Galaxy. This was before his giant success. This was kind of a low budget, kind of a lo fi, not mumblecore, different from mumblecore, because lots goes on in this one. Lots of action. Raid R, 95 minutes, comedy, horror, sci fi. Ooh, I like it, falls into my favorite movie genres perfectly. Um, It includes two of them comedy and horror. And then my other favorite movie genres, Heist, Reunion, and uh, The Judges. People are still voting on it. They're still calling in on their landlines, on their home phones, voting to decide whether Boardwalk should be allowed into the old uh, movie genre debate. I don't know. Is Boardwalk a movie? Or I mean, not a movie. Is Boardwalk a genre? Because if it is, it's one of my favorite genres love movies on boardwalks but I mean I guess you could have like you could have like a comedy horror movie on a boardwalk but I would still consider it a boardwalk movie myself um yes okay Slither a small town is taken over by alien plague turning residents into zombies and all forms of mutant monsters so I wouldn't call it like a zombie movie necessarily it's like a, more of like a monster movie, like I said. More of a... Not like Monsters, Inc. either. Not that kind of Monsters movie. Don't trick yourself. More of like a snake... I think it's like a snaky movie. That's why it's called Slither. It's more of a Samuel... Get these snakes off this mother flipping plane! Um, 2006. Oh, we talked about this one, baby. In the second episode. Invincible. She plays Janet. This is the one where Mark Wahlberg played for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, 2007. Spider-Man 3. Wow, she was in all three of those. I guess it's just been... It's probably been a decade since I've seen any of those first ones. Uh, she was Miss Brandt. Yep. 07. Meet Bill. She plays Jess. Let's see. A guy fed up with his job and married to a cheating wife reluctantly mentors a rebellious teen. Comedy drama. 93 minutes, rate R. 
Okay. Starring Two-Face. Harvey Dent himself. Uh, 2007. Fred Claus. Fred Claus. Claus. Mr. Claus. Uh, Charlene. 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 Don't you know what it do, Charlene? Don't you know what it do, Charlene? That's a beautiful original song I just came up with. Uh, <laughs> Fred Claus. Wow, this is a long movie. 116 minutes. Comedy, family, fantasy, PG. Fred Claus is Santa's bitter older brother forced to move to the North Pole to help Santa and the elves prepare for Christmas in exchange for cash. Cold hard doubloons. Santa is played by Paul Giamatti. Here's some gifts. <laughs> That's my Paul Giamatti impression. <clears throat> That's Santa Claus. <laughs> okay, enough of that. Um, sorry for hurting your ears right there. <clears throat> TV miniseries, 2008, Comanche Moon. She plays Maggie for three episodes. <clears throat> also in 08, Definitely Maybe. She plays Emily. Title that makes no sense. Which one? This was a rom-com. A rom-com drum. A political consultant tries to explain his impending divorce and past relationships to his 11-year-old daughter. Who starred in this? Oh, it's Ryan Reynolds. Okay. Definitely, definitely remember when it came out. I definitely remember, definitely maybe. <laughs> but, okay. Now is a good time. Since my, um... Liars tell me I gotta go use the bathroom, so I will be right back after this short commercial, after these brief commercial messages. Hey, 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 yo, yo, I'm back. How was your break? I hope it was very productive, efficient. You got lots of stuff done. Maybe you got your Costco list started, or Sam's Club, whichever one. Um, this was, before we go back to Liz Banks... Something I wanted to talk about was my favorite movies from the 2000s, specifically the early 2000s, but um, this list from Rotten Tomatoes is just uh, 2000s movies in general. So yeah, I mentioned in a past episode of A Star is Born that I wanted to talk about my favorite movies from the 2000s, since that's kind of in my sweet spot for movie watching. So here we go. Here's a few. Uh, National Treasure course we talked about that saw i was never really a big fan of saw it's kind of too like grotesque and like ugly violence and i don't know just crazy jigsaw jigsaw so creepy uh save the last dance have not even heard of that one it's a julia styles movie twilight that's like i've never seen twilight but that's right my sister's wheelhouse i have seen this one the Notebook, just saw, just said it. Of course I've seen The Notebook. I've not seen Twilight, though. But, I mean, I've seen bits and pieces on uh, 
like FX. So I'm open to watching. I'll watch it, but I'm sure we have it at home on DVD. My sister is a huge fan of Twilight. I I will say my connection to Twilight is I always sip out of a. I always use a um. <laughs> I don't know why I said sip. I use a AMC. Speaking of AMC, I'll say the uh, talk about the AMC triple feature here in a second. But um, I use the AMC uh, uh, Twilight cup at home to drink water and whatnot. It's a giant cup. It's like 40 ounces. But um, AMC triple feature? Let's, let's just do it. Why not? Let's do it quick. Let's do it quick. As you know, if you've been with me from the beginning, I say this every episode. So it's the old AMC triple feature time, baby. It was June 2009. I had school had just gone out. With my best bud growing up, Stephen Ungrecht, and we ventured on over. Somehow we made it over to Woodenville from Bothell to AMC Movie Theater, where I would go on to work seven years later. And we went to year one, which uh, I talked about that in Paul Rudd episode. Star um, Jack Black and Michael Sarah, the caveman one. Um, honestly, can't remember much about it. I think it was like a there, it was like an adventure movie, though. They were walking somewhere. They were going somewhere. It was, a, it was like a road trip movie without cars. Because they were just walking. Before cars had been... Before the wheel had been invented. Uh, but after that, it was okay. Not not very good. Not, not a great movie. But definitely better than the third movie that we would watch. So, after Land Lost... Or, not Land Lost, excuse me. Just spoiled... I just spoiled what the third movie was. Um, after year one finished, we ventured on over to the other side of the movie theater. Um, went through the gauntlet, uh, dove dove into the water, swim. Because it was one of those things where you have to dive into the water and swim under the wall. Because there's a wall, but it, it didn't extend underwater. So <laughs> you had to dive underwater and swim under a wall. And there's like piranhas and crocodiles like just under this giant cage. Like, it was, like, a five-foot gap for you to, like, fit through. And then there's all these, like, crocodiles and sharks and stuff. And in this, like, cage area. And piranhas and crazy. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we finally made it over to the other side of the movie theater. And we watched The Hangover. Absolutely legendary. A legend of a movie. I feel like Barney Stinson, whenever I talk about it, I just want to be, like, legend. Wait for it. Watch The Hangover. Wait for it. While you're waiting for it, write a review of The Hangover. Five five stars. Um, dairy. But uh, great movie. And then we walked across, across the aisle. Didn't have to go through the pit of death with all the uh, scary sea animals. But, um, yeah, we just had to walk past one uh, British, one of those British guards who wasn't paying attention. He was on his cell phone playing words with friends, trying to... Make that game popular again. Remember when that was a thing? But, um, yeah, so the British guard was distracted. Usually don't see those those guys on their cell phones, but he was smiling, too. So that was weird. But, <laughs> yeah, we went into, you're like, what are you talking about? Uh, we went into Land of the Lost. So that was the third movie. And that was brilliant, brilliantly awful. <laughs> Just a terrible movie. Um, we talked about the first episode, Will Ferrell. We talked about The Hangover, episode three, 
Brody Stevens. You got it. Um, yeah, Land of the Lost was awful. Based on the 1970s show by Sid and Marty Croft. That was a, that was a rough go. Yes. That was that. That was the old AMC triple feature. I gotta look up... Someday I'll look up how long those movies are. See how, how many hours we spent that day watching film. Um, I'm looking at other 2000 movies right here. Uh, Taken. That's 2009, though, so that's not really what I was talking about. Taken's a classic, though. I've got a very specific set of skills... Um, I don't know, Sean Connery. I've got a very specific set of skills. You're the man now, dog. I've got skills, dog. Um, Transformers. I don't think I ever saw the original. Mr. and Mrs. Smith. We just talked about that one. Angelina Jolie's episode. 300. Um, yeah. Zoolander. Of course. That's a classic. But I don't think... That one came out in 01, but I don't think I saw it till like 05 or something. So, yeah, I wouldn't have seen it when I was only eight years old. That movie wouldn't have made any sense. <laughs> like, maybe Will Ferrell's character would have been funny just because he looks so funny. Um, and when he slapped when he slapped the coffee, the latte out of his assistant's hand, that was pretty funny. Um, that was funny for anyone, people of all ages. Let's see. Love Actually. Spy Kids. That was a classic. 2001. Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas. Um, yep, definitely saw that one. Inspector Gadget was another classic. From like... That was like third grade or something. Uh, let's see. American Psycho. Have not seen it. Legally Blonde. The Reese Wither- Witherspoon one. Yeah, we're just talking about movies that we're going to talk about in the future, so I don't know what I'm, why I'm saying all these, but I just want to find... Oh, another classic one that was one of my favorites from the early 2000s that I remembered was uh, Holes. That was the uh, Shia LaBeouf and John Voight, Angelina Jolie's dad. Um, That's a great movie. Zero. Zero is a great character in that movie. He's like the main, the main character. The part where he throws the shoes. I may have talked about it before, but that's okay. That's alright. This is a podcast that loves repetition, baby. Um, it's okay. I'm going to say things more than once, and that's alright. Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. 2004, classic. Classic. I didn't really like the sequels to this. But the first one is definitely a classic. Um, I love a road trip movie. I should add... Ooh, I'm going to do a bold move right now. Bold move right now. I'm going to add a genre to my favorite movie genres. Road trip. Gotta do it. Gotta do it. Love a good road trip movie. There we go. That's been done. Um... V from Vendetta, have not seen it. Let's find one more good one to get out on. Oh, Wedding Crashers, that's a good one. Teen America, World Police, haven't seen... Actually, I have seen it, but... Like I said, South Park's kind of gross. <laughs> I mean, I've seen, like, all of them, but... It's alright, but 
I like Family Guy a little more, I think. I definitely like The Simpsons more. Uh, the Prestige is a great movie. Alright. Gladiator. Uh, what was the one with Braveheart? Braveheart's a good one. Alright, there's some movies from the 2000s. I want to try, I want to, try to do early 2000s movies. Let's see, early... Early... 2000s movies. Because I don't want just 2000s movies. Uh, maybe old school. Old school movies. Clueless. 10 Things I Hate About You. That was filmed at a stadium high school in Tacoma. Tacoma, Washington. Near Seattle. Um, oh, you know what movie I like? is uh, Can't Hardly Wait. That's a great one. Let's see. Yeah, those are some movies. That's some great movies. Some great movies right there. Let's get back to Liz Banks before we go too far off the rails here. Actually, let's read a little bit more of the uh, that ESPN Magazine article column here about the Spokane County, the Foaming 40s. This is about the Foaming 40s recreational basketball team. Here we go. Consider Cole Griffith, 10 hours later, curled up asleep on the middle level of a strange three-decker couch in the center of his loft apartment above the Van Gessen Furniture Warehouse. Uh, Van Goose's family concern. Unfolded, the man is six foot one with an unruly hedge of black hair, a perpetually heavy stubble on his full jaw. The book on Cole Griffith is that he's given to laziness, that, that he's become a chronic shortcut taker, that he's failed in every career he's tried and performed even worse in relationships. And yet the man sleeps easily well into the morning of his 42nd birthday. At 8, he ignores his buzzing cell phone. At 9, his phone going off again, he mumbles in, into his flat pillow. I will, I promise. Finally at 10, when the doorbell rings, Cole Griffith sits up, grunts and slides into the nearest nearest pair of pants he crosses the room and opens the door wide it's Aunt andrea his ex-wife she says happy birthday you think are you alone he looks around apparently she comes in the girls asked if i'd make you dinner on friday i tried calling cole looks around for 10 she says then a.m then i wanted to to catch you before you made plans so will you come over yeah sure thanks andrea is a personal banker hey fits in perfectly to the elizabeth banks outer banks episode um she's a personal banker today she exudes business hot in business hot in a short brown skirt skirt and leather boots with spiky heels cole crunches numbers the outfit is precisely 12% hotter than he wishes it to be. After five years of divorce, he and Andrea have finally found a level of communication that eluded them during 12 or during 11 tough years of marriage. The last thing Cole wants is for some early morning attraction to mess up that equilibrium. He goes to the kitchen to get a glass of water. When he comes back, she's casing the joint. You seem a little roughed up. Out late? We had a rec league game. How'd you do? We lost. Eck missed a wide-open layup at the end. Oh, poor Daniel. So he lost by one? Twelve. Ah. 
She's staring at what Cole once saw as the key to his financial recovery, the bleacher couch. It is a massive three-tiered upholstered sofa, each level staggered and raised so that prickly siblings or homophobic male friends can let lie on it and watch TV without ever touching one another. There exists in the whole world exactly two of these unwieldy 600-pound prototypes. The other sits forever unsold in the warehouse downstairs. There's something else I wanted to ask you about, Andrea says. Claire. Oh, Claire is Cole's most recent ex-girlfriend. 34, yoga enthusiast, community college, Spanish instructor, vegetarian except for bacon. Did you really call her father a Nazi? Cole, Cole really did call Claire's father a Nazi. Three times, in fact. Cole had endured two hours of tea party bombast before Mr. Bruin started in on health care reform, and Cole, already four bourbons in, muttered the word Nazi into his glass. After that, it went fast. What did you call me? And another Nazi. And get out of my house. And Jawal here commandant on his way out. He hasn't spoken to Claire since that night, but Andrea has apparently. She sighs. So Claire's dad is a blowhard. So is yours. So is mine. Frankly, so are you. Who cares? The man's dying of lung cancer. You can't let him rant for an hour. It was two hours. I know this isn't my business, Cole, but Claire's a sweet girl. This is the first one that Rita and Alex have liked. They liked Marla, Cole says. Andreas, you've got to be kidding me, eyebrows fire fire like the needles on a lie detector. Marla, who stole Rita's bike? Cole opens his mouth to protest. Technically, Marla borrowed Rita's bike, then just didn't give it back when she caught Cole with that waitress. But the distinction seemed a little wispy at the moment. Andrea puts her palms up peaceably. I'm fine with you spending your life living above a furniture store, she says. This is the last conversation in the world I want to have. But in case there's any part of you still alive in there, I think this is it for you, Cole. I don't think you get another chance. And here's something neither of them can possibly know. Andrea is right. That is a good place to leave off there. Um, I'm going to grab a little sipski of water from Red Robins. <clears throat> Excuse me, the old Red Robins water bottle. Um, there we go. Gourmet burgers and brews. Thankfully, this isn't bottomless. It says on the water bottle. Because they have the uh, famous bottomless fries. Um, let's see. Before we go back to Liz... Let's see, is there anything else I want to really check on the old, check my legal pad right now? There's nothing else I really want to take care of. So let's, let's actually just get back to Liz here. This is going to be another, not another, not a beefy episode of A Star is Born. That's okay. Kind of a mini. That's all good. No problem with that. Um. Oh, wow. She's in lots of stuff with. David Wayne and Michael Showalter. She works with those guys a lot. Oh, okay. Wait, so she was in... Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. She's in Meet Bill. And she's in Meet Dave in 2008. She was in Meet Bill in 2007, then Meet Dave in 2008. She plays Gina Morrison. That's the one with um, Eddie Murphy. 
That's so from one of my favorite movies of all time. One of that there's an early two thousands movie, um, The Haunted Mansion. I love that Eddie Murphy movie. I think it's two thousand three. But anyway, we're talking Meet Dave right now. Let's see what this one's about. Uh, 90 Minutes, Adventure, Comedy, Family, PG. A crew of miniature aliens operate a spaceship that has a human form. While trying to save their planet, the aliens encounter a new problem as their ship becomes smitten with an Earth woman. Wow. So it's an alien movie with an Earth woman. It's completely different than Meat Bill. So, at least that's okay. Just just the title is kind of weird. And, yeah, I, I was going to say the, the poster looks the same, but I guess the only way that the poster is the same is their face. Aaron Eckhart's face is on it, and Eddie Murphy's face is on it, but it's more of a close-up on Eddie Murphy's face. You only see half of his face. Uh, okay. 2007-08, Wainy Days. She plays Shelly for three episodes. It's another David Wayne, Wet Hot American Summer crew. 08, Lovely Still. She plays Alex Malone. Post, I wonder if that's Post Malone's real name. Alex. We gotta see what Post Malone's name is. I have a feeling that his last name is even Malone. I hope it is, though. Let's see. Oh, Austin Richard Post. His last name is Post. Wait, I said I I mentioned that as one of my possible pen names or stage names. Because I was saying that people have so much trouble. I've said this on many past episodes. People have trouble pronouncing Arneson and spelling it. And especially since Fred Armisen has become famous. With a Saturday Night Live in Portlandia. I live near Portland, up in the Pacific Northwest, so it's especially confusing for us. But so I was considering maybe I'll do a, maybe, Chris, and then I was doing all one syllable last names, and Post was one of them. I did like Chris Leaf, Chris Frost, Chris Branch, Chris Road, Chris. Chris Beef, <laughs> Chris Post, Chris Wolf. Oh, I like Chris Wolf is a cool one. There's already a comedian. There's a comedian named Josh Wolf, and uh, his cousin Scott Wolf, actor. Um, what, what am I talking about now? Chris Book. That'd be cool. What if my last name, what if my pen name was Chris Book? That'd be boss. I think that's the winner. I'm just gonna do it. I'm just gonna write it down. I think that's a winner, because I'm going to be an author, so Chris Book, why am I saying, I am an author, I, I'm going to be an author, I already got two books, I already told you guys about them a lot, um, I just like the idea, Chris Pooh, like uh, the Tao of Pooh, like we've been reading about, by Benjamin Hoff, um, no, I like uh, Chris Book, it's got a good ring to it, it's very relevant, Relevant to what I'm doing, to what I do. Um, speaking of relevant, let's do something we do every episode. Let's do the Calypso update. We always do it um, until, I'm, until I finish this book. 
but I still haven't read any more of it. Still on page 250. But only the good news? Only eight pages left there. I mean, it could be bad news. Just because I'm such a big fan of David Sedaris and his work. And it's really funny. So, it's kind of maybe it's sad that it's coming to an end. But, but the good news is actually... Then I just get to read his next book, or um, one of his previous books, Dress Your Family in Corduroy and Denim. That's going to be a longer longer name for that update, the Dress Your Family in Corduroy and Denim update. It's going to take more time to say than the Calypso update. Um, but yes, there you go. Check out Calypso. It's a really funny book of essays. Lots of comedy, lots of... Oh, he talks about North Carolina a ton. Because he has a uh, beach house down there in North Carolina. And his dad lives in Raleigh. So I think let's let's talk about some North Carolina. I think it's like North, North Carolina. But yes, he has, I think he has a beach house probably near the Outer Banks, actually. Um, so that's relevant. It all ties back. It all ties in full circle. Um, let's see. North Carolina, state facts. University of North Carolina is the oldest state university in the United States. Wow, did not know that. Uh, in 1903, the Wright brothers made the first successful powered flight by man at Kill Devil Hill near Kitty Hawk. The Wright Memorial at Kitty Hawk. Uh, now commemorates their achievements. High Points is known as the furniture capital of the world. Wow. Oh, I wonder if they call it... The nickname for it is the Ottoman Empire. Boom. Roasted. (laughs) I like it. The Ottoman Empire. And they just have like... You know how like... Some towns have a... I think it's the Simpsons. Yeah, in the Simpsons, they have the giant pile of burning tires. They just have a giant pile of Ottomans. Burning Ottomans. <laughs> um, uh, no, known as Fishtown in the early 1700s when Blackbeard arr, frequented the coast. Uh, Beaufort Town was established as a seaport with the right to collect customs in 1722. I like I like the idea of calling a, a place a fish town. That's pretty funny. The Outer Banks of North Carolina hosts some of the most beautiful beaches in the country. Yeah, we talked about the Outer Banks. Whitewater Falls in Transylvania County is the highest waterfall in the eastern United States. They have a Transylvania County? That's awesome. Uh, Cape... Cape Hatteras is the largest lighthouse ever to be moved due to erosion problems. That's something. I love lighthouses. Told you guys about uh, my outhouse calendar. That could have just as easily been a. That could have easily been a lighthouse calendar. Easily. Let's see. List of lighthouses. No, I don't want just a big list of all of them in North Carolina. Seven coastal lighthouses to see. Here's some lighthouses in North Carolina. I love a good lighthouse. It's just, 
I don't know what it is about him. Maybe it's that it reminds me of a barbershop. Maybe I do need a haircut. Have you got one? So I haven't got one since November. Oh my gosh, I need a haircut really bad. But it's actually not. It's not too long though, because I got cut pretty short back in November. Um, what do I love about lighthouses though? I like how they're on the sea. I love the movie Dan in Real Life. Dan in Real Life is one of my favorite movies. And I think, you're like, what does that have to do with this? I think there's a lighthouse in that movie. They're definitely on a coastal tourist place, like a tourist town. I think it's in Maine, maybe New Jersey, but I love Dan in Real Life. It's um, Steve Carell. We'll talk about it in the Steve Carell episode in the future. Um, Dane Cook is in it. It's a great movie. Um, I think there's some lighthouse pub in it. So the first lighthouse, this is on visitnc.com. So North Carolina lighthouse is Cape Lookout Lighthouse. Most recognized for its large black and white diamond design. Currituck Beach Lighthouse um, on the northern Outer Banks has protected North Carolina's shores since 1875 made of roughly 1 million red bricks. This active lighthouse's exterior differs from a more common black and white color scheme to the south. Okay. Yeah, it's not like the first one. Bodie Island Lighthouse uh, continuous southbound North Carolina Highway 12 through Kitty Hawk in Nags Head, you'll reach Cape Hatteras National Seashore. Seashore. Um, oh, it's Bodie. It's pronounced Body. Body Island. But spelled Bodie. It's a 214 step trip to the top. That doesn't seem like that many, actually. Like if the. You know how, like, the firefighters will. Climb like the tallest building in the city for charity. That'd be funny if all like the like the cotton candy vendors and all the dry like the shaved ice vendors, all the carnies, they all climb to the top of the lighthouse for charity. <laughs> I like that. That'd be fun. That'd be that'd be a cool tradition. Someone should start that out there. Any carnies out there listening? Any? People work on the boardwalk. Anyone who works for Boardwalk Empire or been on the show, <laughs> fans of the show, um, I would probably love that show. I've never seen it. Boardwalk Empire. Um, let's see. There's the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse. There's Ocracoke Lighthouse. It's the oldest still operating lighthouse in North Carolina. You take a free ferry from Hatteras to Ocracoke Island. It's on an island. Um, Oak Island Lighthouse. If you travel south of the Outer Banks to the Brunswick Island beaches, you cross onto Oak Island. It has a light that can be seen for 24 miles. Wow. Old Baldy Lighthouse. I feel like that's just rude. That's... <laughs> Seems like they're putting it down. The old body. Um, the bald Brian's favorite lighthouse. 
North Carolina's southernmost lighthouse is visible from Oak Island. Return to the mainland and head to Southport where you can take the ferry to Bald Head Island. Similar to Ocracoke, Bald Head is only accessible by water or air. Old Baldy's appearance is a result of decades of patchwork repair in its 141 years of service. Climb to the top of its 108 stairs to take in the view and explore the restored keeper's cottage on the property. Cottage. I wonder if you could call it cottage country. I'm out here in cottage country, out here in Pullman. Love a good cottage. Um, I'm just going to... Let's see what comes up if you search cottage. Love it from uh, the book. Talks about my obsession with Ruby Holler. Back from back in the day, from probably read that book in like sixth grade or something. That's when you know how you just read like a really good book, see a really good movie when you're at that age, and just sticks with you your whole life. Um, a cottage is typically a small house. It may carry the connotation of being an old or old-fashioned building. Uh, in modern use, a cottage is usually a modest, often cozy dwelling. See, that's what I like about it. It's, it's, it's cozy. Exactly. Typically rural or semi-rural location. I think of a cottage. It could be in the forest, though. It could be in the woods. Um, the holiday cottage exists in many cultures under different names. In American English, cottage is one term for such holiday homes, although they have also been called cabins, chalets, or even camps. In certain countries, the term cottage has local synonyms. In Finnish, it's moki. In Estovian, it's suvila. Swedish, it's stuga. Norwegian, it's height. And that's from the German word of hoot. And in Slovak, it's chalupa. In Russia, it's dacha. Um, there are cottage-style dwellings in American cities. Oh, wow. Dang, this is... <laughs> I did not even... This is crazy. It's, I guess you learn something new every day. There are cottage-style dwellings in American cities that were built primarily for the purpose of housing slaves. Dang. Did not know that. <laughs> I would have thought... I would have thought more like plantation than cottage, but... Interesting. Um... In places such as Canada, cottage carries no connotations of size. So you can have like mansion cottage there. But other places, they're considered smaller. Um, a Let's see. Anything else? Originally in the Middle Ages, cottages house agricultural workers and their families. The term cottage denoted the dweller of a cotter. Thus, cottages were smaller peasant units. Um, huh. That's some cottage talk. That should be a segment. I should do a regular segment on the show every episode. Some sweet cottage talk. <laughs> okay. Very good. It also reminds me of cottage cheese, which I really love as well. So maybe that's one of the reasons why I love cottage. Just cottage is so much. Cottage cheese. 
Um, let's see. Lovely Still, 2008. That was uh, a good old buddy. I forgot who we're talking about there for a second. I was like, who are we talking about? Cottages? This is like, this is a cottage episode? No, Liz Banks, of course. Lovely Still. A holiday fable that tells the story of an elderly man discovering love for the first time. Huh. Huh. Um. Okay. Interesting. An elderly man discovering love for the first time. A holiday fable. So does that mean it's like a, it's made up? It's like a fairy tale? It's like, I like that. I like, I've thought about writing a book about like an 80 year old, 90 year old man falls in love for the first time. I like that. It's cool. He's, he's just like going to the movies with her. Just like doing all sorts of corny stuff. Um, that's probably a lovely book or a lovely movie. Alex Malone. Wow. Yes, because that's when we started talking about Post Malone. We got into that big jag. Uh, this is a good Liz Banks movie right here. Zach and Miri make a porno. She plays Miri. This is one with uh, Seth Rogen. Lifelong platonic friends Zach and Miri look to solve their respective cash flow problems by making an adult film together. As the cameras roll, however, the duo begins to sense that they may have more feelings for each other than they previously thought. A rom-com, 101 minutes, rated R. This is pretty funny. Craig Robinson from the off, Daryl from the Office in it. Uh, w, she's in W. Plays Laura Bush. Who plays W? Who plays George W in this? It is Josh Brolin. That's right. Okay. Chronicle of the Life and Presidency of George W. Bush. Oh, this is a great movie. We talked about how great this was one. Um, this one was in um, the Paul Red episode. Role Models. Loved it. 2008. She plays Beth. Paul Rudd's uh, love interest. It's a great movie. LARPing. LARPers out there will love it. Non-LARPers will love it too. Um, let's see. Now is a good time for me to read a little bit of uh, Carl Duker's book. We've been loving it so much, so Night Hoops. It's that Night Hoops time. We got Night Hoops fever. Um, we're in Chapter 9 of Part 3 right now. Here we go. <clears throat> the next morning, I woke up filled with energy. I made myself breakfast, then went out to the shed and dug out the painting stuff. The paint in the downstairs bathroom was peeling. It was supposed to be a creamy white, but you could see the pink and yellow that had been underneath. My father had always said he was going to repaint. He actually bought the paint, but he never got around to it. I figured I couldn't make the walls look worse. <coughs> Excuse me. So I scraped off the loose stuff, washed it down, sanded a little, then got to it. Usually I got bored doing stuff like that, and pretty soon got get careless, splattering the paint or getting some on the porcelain or on the window. But that morning, I was careful to get the right amount of paint on the roller and to spread it on the wall evenly. I even did the window slowly. When I finished it, uh, it looked really good, 
and I thought how pleased Mom would be when she returned. In the afternoon, I took my bike out and rode the trail down to University Village in Seattle. Nobody else was out, so I really moved, breaking a sweat. It started drizzling on the way back, and the misty air felt tremendous. When I reached the railroad trestle in Bothell, I saw Michael Ushakov. He grinned at me and waved. I thought of Katya and felt guilty that I'd never gone over to see him, so I stopped. He came right up next to me to my bicycle and started fingering my light, repeatedly pushing the yellow button that turned it off and on. You didn't have this before, did you? It was like him to notice anything new. No, I said. It was a Christmas gift. From your mom? From my brother. Scott? Yeah, Scott. Scott's over at my house a lot. I like Scott. I smiled at that. He pushed the yellow button a few more times. There wasn't anything more to say. I slung my leg over the frame. You should go home now, Michael. I said, you're going to get drenched if you stay out. Okay, he said. See ya. As I pedaled off, I looked over my shoulder. He was headed right back to the railroad trestle. My grades had arrived in the mail. I stared at the envelope for a while, took a deep breath, then ripped it into it. Two C pluses, three Bs, and an A in PE. It wouldn't make my mother happy, but I'd be eligible to play. I stuck a frozen pizza in the oven. Uh, after I ate, I popped a songs tape in the VCR. One where Peyton scored 30 points on Allen Iverson. It was a great game, but I didn't want to watch it closely. Mainly, I listened for the gate to creak open. The songs game ended, and I started on an old Tom Hanks movie. Still no Trent. Then, around nine, there was a lot of commotion at the Dawson house. Mrs. Dawson came around, came down the front set, uh, porch steps, yelling at Zach. Zach screamed right back. The shouting went on for at least five minutes before the Corolla raced off, tires squealing. That was that, I figured. No Trent. But a minute later, I heard him on the court, and about ten seconds later, I was headed out the back door. Once I stepped outside, I nodded to him. He nodded back, took a hard dribble, pulled up, missed a 15-footer, and we were at it again. I don't know how long we went one-on-one. An hour, maybe, with neither of us talking at all. Then, out of nowhere, Trent stopped. You block out really well on the boards, never foul or anything. Thanks, I said, surprised. Then it hit me what, what he was after. You want me to show you some tricks my dad taught me? He dribbled the ball a couple times. Yeah, sure. So I broke down the moves for him, piece by piece. He was a quick learner, and within ten minutes, he was blocking out better than I do. That's good, I said. Really good. He took a little jump shot, switched it, then looked at me. I passed. What? I asked, not following. My classes. I passed everything. I'm eligible. That's great, I said, and I reached out and kind of shook his shoulder. Way to go. You'll play a lot. I think so. Or think so? You bet. You bring that instant energy when you come in. You'll get minutes. He took another jump shot, missed it long, uh, retrieved it. I've never played in a real game with a scoreboard and real refs and all that stuff. I've never even had a uniform. Well, you'll get one now. Coach will have one ready for you at the next practice. You wait and see. We shot a couple of times each. Then he spoke again. Do you keep them at the end of the season? Keep what? The uniforms. Do you keep them? It was a good thing it was dark, because I had to smile at his question. 
He was like a kid at Christmas, all excited. No, I said, making sure my voice was even. They go back. As a matter of fact, if you don't get them washed and ironed, you pay a fine. The following night, we played again. It was the last night Mom and Scott would be away. All in all, I was glad they were coming back. The house was lonely without them. But Mom wouldn't let me play basketball late into the night the way I'd been doing, and I was going to miss that freedom. Something was wrong with Trent, though. He was edgy, fouling me more and scowling when I called him on it, acting a little like the Trent of old. Around 10 o'clock, right when we were going at it hard, the gate opened. I picked up my dribble and squinted into the darkness. Who's there? Zach's voice rang out. Come on, Trent, let's go. I could hear Trent breathing in the still air. Where? Zach's voice was commanding. You know where. Now come on. For a second, it was like being back at Canyon Park in the summer. Zach shows. Trent goes. Only this, this time, Trent didn't go. No, I'm playing basketball. Zach took a couple of steps forward. He padded the pocket of his jacket. I got them. Trent dribbled the ball once, then held it. I don't care. I'm playing basketball. Zach came right into onto the court. You promised me. Trent faced him down. I promised nothing. For a long moment, there was silence. Then Zach was gone, out of the yard. Seconds later, the Corolla roared off into the night. What was that all about? I asked. Nothing, Trent snapped. He bricked a jumper off the front rim. Let's just play. He tried to get going, but his game was way off. Pretty soon, he stopped entirely. I've had enough, he, he mumbled. Come on, I said, a little longer. He shook his head, picked up a sweatshirt, and headed off the court. No liter of Pepsi, no talk. Inside, I took a shower. Then I went down to the kitchen and made myself a peanut butter sandwich. I was sitting at the table, looking out into the night, when I heard the first siren. After that, there were three more, each one, each one screaming down 104th toward Main Street. I slipped into the front room and looked across the street to the Dawson house. Nothing, totally dark. But something kept me from going upstairs to bed. I sat down on the sofa by the window and waited. I didn't have to wait long. Within 10 minutes, a police car roared up the street. The tires squealed as it came to a halt in front of the Dawson house. One officer popped out of the car and raced around to the back. The other one was up the walkway and onto the porch, his hand on the gun. Seconds later, another police car pulled up behind the first. I heard the knock all the way across the street. That's how loud it was. Police, open up. For a while, there was nothing. Then the Dawson's front door opened and Erica Dawson stepped onto the porch, pulling the door closed behind her. She talked to a policeman for a moment. He showed her something. Then she stepped aside as he crossed the threshold into her house. The house had been dark, but within minutes, every light was on. After what seemed like forever, the policeman came out, alone. A little while later, the first police car drove off. The motor on the second turned over, but instead of driving off, the car inched a hundred yards or so up the block, then came to a stop in a dark spot between the streetlights. It was still sitting there an hour later when I finally went to bed. Ooh, there's only like a page more here, so let's just read this final chapter 10. This is so intense here with the old escapades of Trent and, Trent and Zach. Uh, chapter 10. Early the next morning, Scott and Mom returned. She bought some San Francisco sourdough bread at the airport. 
and we went into the kitchen and talked and ate. Scott unrolled a poster of whales from the Monterey Aquarium, and he showed off the third place medal he'd won at the jazz competition. We got called back for two encores. It was awesome. That's, that's great, I said. Congratulations. Then Mom started. She described the auditoriums, the audiences, the cheering. Everywhere you turned, there was music. The whole city was alive with it. Oh, I wish you could have been there. They ran out of things to say just when the bread was gone. There was a stretch of silence. Then Scott stood. I'm going to call Katya. Scott, you spent every minute on the trip with her. Give the girl some room to breathe. I told her I'd call. I can't not do it. Mom frowned, then took her suitcase to the bedroom. I wandered out the front door, dropped onto the sofa, or out to the front room, dropped on the sofa, pulled the curtains back a bit, and peeked across the street. The police car was gone, but in its place was another car I'd never seen on our block, a large, dark Chevy. A man was sitting inside, reading a newspaper. A moment later, Scott came downstairs. That was quick, Mom said, coming out of her bedroom. She wasn't home, Scott replied, worried. So she went someplace, Mom replied. She doesn't have to ask your permission, does she? But we were going to go into Seattle today, to GameWorks. Give, give her a few minutes and call her again. Only, I'm warning you, you'll suffocate her if you don't give her some privacy. Scott went upstairs as Mom sat in the chair across from me. How about you? What did you do with yourself while you were, we were gone besides paint the bathroom? It looks great, by the way. Thank you. Nothing much. I watched some TV, read a little, shot some hoops. Did your father come by? I hadn't thought about him at all. No, he didn't. She didn't say anything, but I could tell she was angry. I stood. I'll be back, I said. That basketball court has turned out to be a pretty good thing for you, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. I shot hoops for an hour or so. When I came back inside, the big Chevy was still parked up the block, and Scott was still moping around. Has the newspaper come? I asked him. Yeah, Mom brought it in. It's on the table. Mom, Mom laughs at the Eastside Journal. She says that if a bomb exploded in their own office, the Seattle Times would have the story first. She subscribes only because I read the sports section cover to cover. I pulled off the rubber band. The paper unrolled in front of me. I intended, intended to go right to the sports pages to see if they'd had the scores from the Victoria tournament, but the headline jumped out at me. Bothell Youth Shot on Trail. Quickly, my eyes raced through the paragraphs. Mom, I said, I said as I read, Scott, come here. There must have been something in my voice that drew them because they came immediately. What is it? My mother said. What happened? I pointed to the headline. It's Michael Ushakov. He's been shot. Dun, dun, dun. That is the end of part three of Night Hoops by Carl Duker. Mr. Duker, the, uh... The old teacher from my elementary school that my brother had in sixth grade, who was an author of a lot of great books. We've talked about him a lot, and that's one of my favorites by him, Night Hoops. Just keeps getting more more intense, more thrilling, because I can't remember. I haven't read it for at least like over a decade, so I can't remember what happened. So it's like me reading it for the first time, too. Okay, here we go. Let's go back to Liz. Um, we just on role models. So after role models, American Dad! Exclamation. 
TV show 2007-2008. She is Lisa Silver slash Becky Arangino. Becky Arangino. Arangino. Three episodes. I never watched that show, really. <clears throat> Just like Futurama. I never... Because, like, American Dad is, like... American Dad is to Family Guy as Futurama is to The Simpsons. That's like a SAT question for cartoon enthusiasts. Um, 2009, The Uninvited. She plays Rachel. I think this is a horror movie. Let's see. Looks like a horror movie. Yep. Drama, horror, mystery. 87 minutes, PG-13. Anna returns home from, after a stint in a mental hospital, but her recovery is jeopardized by her cruel stepmother and ghastly visions of her dead mother. Ghastly. Sounds like a pretty standard horror flick there. Oh, she's in Scrubs. Dr. Kim Briggs, 16 episodes in Scrubs from 06 to 09. So she's kind of in the late years there, like after I stopped watching. That's probably why I didn't remember her. Maybe caught a little bit of 06 when she was in it, but because I think I think the last couple of years, JD and Turk weren't even on Scrubs. Um, it's like a Michael Scott in the Office. <coughs> Excuse me. A short from 2009 called Big Breaks. She plays Starlet. Well, let's see what that one's about. Penny and Sam work for a notoriously mean-spirited, selfish, and somewhat abusive big fish Hollywood producer, MJ Seigel. They run a they run a day's worth of outrage run a day's worth of outrageous and demoralizing errands for her and end up turning on one another when Penny's movie idea is stolen, pitched, and sold to MJ by Sam as her own idea. Ooh. Um, wow. The classic backstabbing traitor. It's like Survivor. They broke the alliance. Uh, 2010. The next three days. She plays Laura Brennan. Wow, this is a long movie. 133 minutes. Action, crime, drama. A married couple's life is turned upside down when the wife is accused of murder. Murder? It's a murder mystery. R Russell Crowe's in it, too. With Liz. Ah. She's in another movie with her old uh, Spider-Man buddy here. Toby, Toby McGuibes. Tobe McGuibes. Tobe McGuibes. That's his new nickname. The, de the details. She plays Neely Lang. Um, let's see. When a family of raccoons, raccoons, discover worms living underneath the sod in Jeff and Neely's backyard, this pest problem becomes a darkly comic and wild chain reaction of domestic tension, infidelity, and murder. Another murder mystery. Right now I'm writing down Tobe McGuibe. There we go. Tobe McGuibe's there. Just so I don't forget this fun nickname that that we've developed over this joyous <laughs> joyous time. Um, that sounds like a pretty fun movie. 
2011. I've seen this one. We talked about Paul Rudd episode. Our idiot brother. She plays Miranda. This is a hilarious movie. Paul Rudd is just like a tree hugging, like hippie, like chain yourself to a tree. All, all that stuff. And it's really funny. Uh, short from 2011. Just a little heart attack. She plays woman. 2012. Man on a ledge. She plays Lydia Mercer. Which one was this? 102 minutes. Action, adventure, crime. PG-13. As a police psychologist works to talk down an ex-con who's threatening to jump from a Manhattan rooftop. The biggest diamond heist ever committed is in motion. Oh, what? It's a heist movie? I would love it. I have to check this one out. Good old Diamond Heist movie. Uh, ooh, 2012. This is her first big... Not her first big one. What am I talking about? She's been in a million stuff. This is her... What she's most known for, I would say. This one right here. <clears throat> 2012. She's Effie Trinket in The Hunger Games. Bum, bum, bum. Just talked about that in the J-Law episode. 2012, what to expect when you're expecting, Wendy, uh, 30 Rock, oh, she's in 15 episodes of 30 Rock, as Avery Jessa, I think she's like someone's, I think she's Alec Baldwin's ex, ex-girlfriend, if I'm not mistaken, uh, 15 episodes, yeah, 2010 to 2012, it's a funny show. It's a funny show if you like a ton of jokes per minute just being thrown at you. If you like, um, if, if you're a sabermetrics comedy fan, a fan of comedy, comedy sabermetrics, then you'll like 30 Rock. Uh, 2012, people like us. <laughs> like the money ball of comedy. That's what I think of, of 30 Rock. It's the money ball of comedies. Okay, yes. 2012, People Like Us. She plays Frankie. I like the name. I like that name for a girl. It's a good name for a girl. Frankie. Um, Chris Pine's in this. Oh, we talked about this in the Chris episode. While settling his recently deceased father's estate, a salesman discovers he has a sister whom he never knew about, leading both siblings to re-examine their perceptions about family and life choices. The classic long-lost sister trope. The oldest cliche in Hollywood. Uh, oh yeah, she's really known for this one too. This is another big one for Liz Banks. 2012's Pitch Perfect. She plays Gail. Gail. I've seen parts of Pitch Perfect 2 on like FXX. What's FXX's slogan? It's like, I think FXX's slogan is like, bringing it to the next level. Going to the next level. Um, the X level. But anyway, yes, I watched Pitch Perfect 2 on there. It's one of those movies that they played it a bunch on the same channel. So I saw it like probably like three times in three weeks 
on that on that channel. Just different nights. Just catching bits and pieces of Pitch Perfect. Um, Adam. Adam from uh, Workaholics is in it. Let's see. Family Guy 2012. She's Pam Fishman. There's been a lot of fish references this episode. Like I referenced I referenced the eye of the fish in that um thing I wrote that I read you guys. There's just been lots of fish talk. I've noticed that. Uh let's see what pitch perfect is. Maybe I should play I should just whip out the acoustic guitar and just start jamming. Just throw on some fish in the background, just start jamming out. Have a little jam sesh. Uh pitch perfect. 112 minutes, rom-com music. Becca, a freshman at Barden University, is cajoled into joining the Bellas, her school's all-girls singing group. Injecting some much-needed energy into their repertoire, the Bellas take on their male rivals in the campus competition. Um, yeah, this movie's definitely... I do want to see that. It looks really funny. And based on what I've seen from the second one, it is really funny. Cause is she in the first one too? Rebel Wilson's hilarious. Is Rebel Wilson? Yep, she is in the first one. She's funny. She funny. Okay, so Family Guy. Oh my gosh. Of course Liz Banks is in this TV show that everyone's in. Everyone's in the show. We keep coming back to it. It's like the cartoon version of Law & Order. Robot Chicken is... Cartoon Law and Order, I'm telling you. Robot Chicken. Mrs. Claus. Shayna Scarlett O'Hara. One episode. 2012. Um, movie 43 from 2013. She plays Amy. And that's a segment, Beazle. God, that was just like that awful parody movie, like the satire. A series of interconnected short films followed by follows a washed up producer as he pitches insane storylines featuring some of the biggest stars in Hollywood. Okay. Well, yeah, there are a lot of big people in it, but it's terrible. Is it like, it's like one of these movies that's like supposed to be bad or something. I don't know what it is. Because it, it's obvious, it's like a parody, it's a satire. And they're making fun of these movies. So they're just trying to be dumb, I think. But I just don't think... I don't. Those aren't my favorite kinds of movies. The super unoriginal ones where they make fun of other movies. <laughs> it's like... I think, why don't you just come up with a fresh new idea for a movie? Um, I think that, that'd be a better idea. I'm a right robot. I'm just going to write a note to myself here. So I remember, I remember my brilliant observation... About Robot Chicken and uh, Law and Order. There we go. There we go. Very good. Um, yeah, I just think people who have like great create creative skills just they want like their creativity is like overflowing in inside them so much that they have to make like original stuff. But if you don't have a lot of creativity inside you, maybe. Maybe it's easier just to make a parody, a satire, something like Movie 43, <laughs> just trashing it. Seriously, these movies are, these kinds of movies are not funny to me. Just completely, just parody. I mean, although I did say, the one, the one time I kind of liked it, 
it was it was pretty good. It was uh, not just another teen movie. They did a lot better than movie forty three, because at least they made it. They made it into like somewhat of a story, but I guess movie forty three is one of those like it's a bunch of short stories assembled, like that uh that one Simpsons episode like twenty two short stories from Springfield, but okay enough jab jibber jab about that. Let's, let's see what we got here. Twenty thirteen. The Hunger Games Catching Fire, Effie Trinket. Her character is like so colorful in Hunger Games. I like her character in it. She's very nice too, like super supportive, very kind. Excuse me, she's in a TV show called Tim's Valley, 2013. Beth Billings Tim's. Let's see what Tim's Valley is. That sounds kind of interesting. Her last name, Billings, a Montana, the biggest, uh, okay, if it's not going to, that's okay, we don't have to check what it is. If it's not going to load, then we won't check. (laughs) Facing the crowd is the next thing, a short from 2013, she plays Face. I wonder who plays crowd. Uh, uh, 2014, the Lego movie. Wild Style slash Lucy voice of have not seen the Lego movie yet. But there's already been like a couple sequels of it already. Twenty fourteen Little Accidents. She plays Diana Doyle Doyle. Twenty fourteen T V show Phineas and Ferb. Wait, let's see what Little Accidents is first. It's hundred five minutes, drama, not rated. In a small American town, still living in the shadow of a terrible mine, coal mine accident, the disappearance of a teenage boy draws together a sur- surviving miner, the lonely wife of a mine executive, and a local boy in a web series of secrets. Excuse me. You don't hear a lot about minor exec- mine executives. That's like... What if, <laughs> what if a bunch of mine executives got stuck in the mine? They're just like checking it out in a Chilean mine. Mine executive. That that sounds like a Netflix series right there about a bunch of coal mine executives. That sounds like a Matt Damon movie, like Promised Land. Or maybe a Ozark. I don't know what Ozark's about, but I assume it's something like that. Something something Promised Land adjacent. Something uh is Ozark about fracking? <laughs> What's Ozark about? No, it's not about fracking. It's about um like a businessman, isn't it? That's that uh Jason Bateman Netflix show. You can add it to your Netflix queue. Speaking of Ozark though, after after I look at what Ozark show is, I want to look into the Ozarks because I'm just interested in that region of the country. Let's see what Ozark show is about, though. Bateman portrays a financial planner, Marty Bird, and Lord Linney portrays his wife, Wendy Bird, a public relations consultant on political campaigns who became a homemaker before the family moved to the Ozarks. Yeah, so he's a financial guy. Yeah. Um, okay, so 
Let's look at what the Ozarks are right after this brief commercial break. And these, uh, these messages from um, my commercial sponsors. Hey, 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 how was your break? Was it productive? Did you get a lot of stuff done? Maybe clear out your Netflix queue? Sort through some shows you've already seen? Maybe some ones you decide you didn't want to watch? Ozark? Maybe you decide you want to watch Ozark? Speaking of Ozark, let's, um, I'm just so interested in this Ozark region. Um, it's, let's see, what is, what's the Ozark region? It is Missouri, Arkansas, Oklahoma, and extreme southeastern Kansas. The Ozarks, uh, they cover a significant portion of northern Arkansas and most of southern half of Missouri extending from Interstate 40 in Arkansas to Interstate 70 in Central Missouri. Okay, so there you go. And let's see what the culture is like. Um, early settlers relied on hunting, fishing, and trapping, foraging to supplement their diets and income. Um, Let's see. Traditional Ozark culture includes stories and tunes passed orally between generations through community music parties and other informal gatherings. Many of these tunes and tales can be traced to having British origins into German folklore. Square dances were an important social avenue through the Ozarks in the 20th century. Oh, we used to do... That brings back memories of doing square dancing and in junior high, we had a big... Like, we would practice it in PE for, like, maybe, like, a month or two. We would get groups, like, just do it every day in PE. And then have big, uh, what do you call it? A square dance, like, um, round, around, whatever you call it. Whatever you call the big dance, dance-a-thon. <laughs> not, not dance-a-thon, but you know what I'm trying to say. Like, a big square dance. Um, maybe that's what you call it. You just call it a square dance. Uh, square dances sprang up, and then everyone would wear, like, flannels and cowboy hats and cowboy boots, big belt buckles. It's people's chances to dress up like cowboys. Yeehaw! Yeehaw! Alright, um, square dances sprang up wherever people concentrated around mills and timber camps, springs, fords, and in towns small and large. So lots of square dancing going on. Uh, population influx since the 1950s, coupled with geographically lying in both the Midwest and Upper South, um, blah, 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 contributes to changing cultural values in the Ozarks. Theme parks and theaters seen to reflect regional values have little in common with traditional Ozark value culture. Um, hmm. Very good. Very good. So I guess they don't really have... They don't really have that much information on the Ozarks. I think there's just like a lot of legend around the region, but maybe that's just me. Um, okay, let's see. North. Let's use some more North Carolina facts. Let's see. North Carolina facts. The University of North Carolina's mascot, the Tar Heels, is a nickname for North Carolinans that supposedly came from the days when North Carolina produced a lot of tar, and someone saw a set of footprints made by someone who had stepped in the tar. 
Yes. That reminds me of my North Carolina Tar Heels basketball pin that I'm looking at right now. Definitely my favorite pin of uh, all of them that I went through in the past however many episodes, 20 or so episodes. Um, Let's see. Charles Carroll was born and raised in Wil- Wilmington. Apparently that's someone famous. Havelock is home of Marine Base Cherry Point. It's the largest air base in the Marine Corps. North Carolina is the largest producer of sweet potatoes in the nation. Harker's Island hosts the annual Core Sound Decoy Festival in December. It sounds like lots of festivals. Here's another festival in North Carolina. Moorhead City is home to North Carolina Seafood Festival, held the first weekend of October every year. Big festival state, but not really music festivals, just other other stuff. What's a sound decoy festival? What does that mean? Does that mean like sounds to distract you? Sound decoy festival. Core sound... Maybe it's just music. Um, let's see. Core sound deco. Carver's Guild. What is sound decoy? Oh, it looks like birds. They're doing something with birds here. <laughs> so that's what it is. I'll try. They're doing the thirty-second annual, and this is like researching. I feel like I'm in the movie A Big Year. Um, that's a great movie, by the way. I love that movie. The Big Year. It's, it's the best bird watching movie you're of, you'll ever see. Um, about the Guild. Let's see. Yeah, The Big Year has Owen Wilson. Wow. Wow. Look at that bird. Look at that owl. Wow. Hoot, hoot. Um, as Jack Black, who we talked about earlier in the Hangover Trio, and it has Steve Martin, Steve Martin. Okay, so the Core Sound Decoy Carvers Guild dedicates to the preservation of the waterfowl. Okay, the of the waterfowl carving heritage. Wait, what? Okay, so waterfowl carving. Oh, it's all just like. Yeah, it's like wooden carvings of waterfowls, I suppose. Very good. Very specific. Why can't they... They don't carve any other birds? Just only only waterfowl? Very uh, confusing. What well, if there's just one dude in the group who just like loves ravens? He's a big fan of the Baltimore Ravens. He's like, I'm going to carve a raven. They're like, no, Steve. You can't carve a raven, Steve. How many times do I have to tell you? You want to carve a raven? Go over to the Raven Carving Guild. Across the street. <laughs> They're just rival carving guilds right across the street. <laughs> oh, I like it. Um, they have competing festivals just the same weekend. Okay, let's read a little bit more of... I can't get enough night hoops. Like I've told you guys, I have night hoops fever. And the only cure for it is reading more night hoops. Carl Duker. This is chapter one, part four, baby. We already made it to part four. It was as if an earthquake had rocked our house, 
Everybody was reeling. Mom grabbed the newspaper from me, put a hand to her mouth, then dropped it, saying, Oh my God. Scott went straight to the phone. Don't bother, Mom said. I'm sure she's at the hospital. Mom turned to me. Does it say where they took him? I snatched the newspaper from the ground. Yeah, here it is. University Hospital. We can be there in a half an, half hour. Poor Mrs. Yushikov. Mom scra- uh, Scott grabbed his coat. Mom looked around for her purse for a moment, found it, then turned to me. Are you coming? I shook my head. I'd just be in the way. She didn't argue. All right, but you're on your own. I don't know when we'll be back. A minute later, uh, she and Scott were gone. I stayed inside for maybe ten minutes, working up my courage. Then I opened the front door and walked out to the strange car. The man inside was reading the newspaper. I tapped on the window. Are you a policeman? I asked when he rolled it down. What do you want, kid? I think I know something about what happened last night. He put the newspaper on the seat next to him and motioned toward my house. You live there? Yeah. He pulled out his wallet and showed me his identification. I'm Officer Tomlinson. How about if I come in and we talk? I thought I knew so much, but I was finished in a couple of minutes. Let me see if I've got this right, he said, looking over his notes. You are playing basketball with Trent Dawson last night, and around 10, Zach Dawson came up. He, came, he seemed to have gotten hold of something, something Trent knew about. They argued a little, then Zach left. Is that it? I nodded. But you didn't see what he had inside his coat? No. He tapped his pencil against his notepad. How long did Trent stay with you once Zach had left? I felt my chest tighten. A while. How long's a while? Two minutes? Thirty? Maybe an hour? At least tw- ten minutes, I said. Then I added, probably more like twenty. He closed his notebook. I screwed up my courage. Was it Zach? Did he shoot Michael? I can't answer that, he said, standing. But we'd sure like to talk to him. In fact, we'd like to talk with both Dawson boys. See if you see either of them or they get in touch with you. You tell them that, and then you call us right away. You understand? Right away. He left, and not more than a minute later, the telephone rang. I raced to pick it up, thinking it was Mom, but it was Luke. Earlier in the day, I'd been hoping he'd call, but now the basketball team seemed as if it were part of a world I'd left. To him, it was everything. I asked how Victoria had been, and his voice bubbled with excitement. Great. We had a team at this huge hotel, the Empress. We had tea at this huge hotel, the Empress. I know it sounds stupid, but it was fun, like being in England. And there's this miniature world where all the big battles from the two world wars are set up. There's another place called... He rattled on and on with me saying, yeah, or sounds great, every 30 seconds or so. Finally, he stopped. How do you do in the tournament, I asked. He groaned. We lost all three games. None were even close. We were totally squashed. He paused. That's the bad news. The good news for you is how we lost. Fabroa got himself in foul trouble every game, and Chang just isn't quick enough to play point guard. The first night, he got double teamed and couldn't handle it. After that, every team doubled him as soon as he touched the ball. Turnovers, fouls, sloppy defense, you name it, we did it. O'Leary was going absolutely crazy on the bench. That's too bad, I said. Yeah, yeah, for the team, but not for you. With a couple good practices, you'll be starting Thursday against Lake Washington. He paused, waiting for me to show some excitement. When I didn't, he noticed. Something wrong, Nick? 
I should have told him about Michael Ushikov, but I couldn't bring myself to. Maybe because I kept hoping that somehow it would all go away. No, I said, nothing's wrong. Oh man, get a sip of water. My Red Robin's bomb. Man, stuff just keeps heating up. In the, uh, the old Night Hoops saga. Very good. Let's get back to um, Liz. Back to Liz Banks. So we left you on Phineas and Ferb. TV show 2014. Grulenda. Split for one episode. I'm trying to think. Who, who did I picture as that? As the cop. Maybe like a. Kind of like an Al Pacino type. Ugh. That's what I pictured as that. That cop. Reading the newspaper in the car. Just Al Pacino. Maybe that's who I would have cast. For that. For that role. Is her. <laughs> and you guys. Six inches from your face. I love that. I love that uh, speech in Any Given Sunday. Um, you got a claw for that inch. Oh, that's not, I, I don't know the that old Al Pacino. Ooh ah, ooh ah. That's what he does. That's right. All right. Uh, twenty fourteen. Phineas and Ferb. I've heard it was a good show. Twenty fourteen. Every secret thing. Nancy Porter. Let's see what that one is. A detective looks to unravel mysteries surrounding missing children and the prime suspects. Two young women who seven years ago were put away for an infant's death. Dang. It's one of those heavy movies. 93 minutes, crime, drama, mystery. Right? Arr, arr. 2014, Walk of Shame. Megan? This is the, um... Oh, she stars in this. Wow. She stars in a lot of movies. What am I saying? Liz Banks. She's a... She's a front woman. Um... 95 minutes. Comedy. Rate R. A reporter's dream of becoming a news anchor is compromised after a one-night stand leaves her stranded in downtown LA without a phone, car, ID, or money in only eight hours to make it to the most important job interview of her life. Okay, okay. Sounds... Let's see who directed it. Sounds kind of interesting. Stephen Brill. That's like the dude who works with Adam Sandler, right? Yes. Little Nicky, Mr. Deeds. He did uh, Movie 43 as well. He did Sandy Wexler. Sandy Wexler. Nice to meet you, Sandy Wexler. Um, he did a lot of these. A lot of these movies. Big Daddy. Eh, okay. Okay. Um, Let's see. Love and Mercy. That's a good one. Brian Wilson one. The uh, Beach Boys movie. This is Paul Giamatti. I wonder if the, like, being on the beach and, like, listening to the Beach Boys and just, if that relaxed Paul Giamatti at all. 
or if his blood pressure was still just like through the roof. He's just super stressed out about everything. Paul Giamatti does not seem like he could relax. Like, can you see Paul Giamatti on a hammock? Like, <laughs> come on. Like, just hanging out. Just relaxing. He's always, like, sitting at a desk and, like, pulling out his hair over something. Just stressing out. Just He's like the Adam Schefter of movies. Just, like, on two phones. Texting on TV. Some next level stuff. Texting on TV. Um, that's I've heard people say that. That's been like a bit. I've heard someone say that. It's like you know you've made it when you get a text on TV. But that's for that's true. It's like you're not even you're just getting paid to just come on. It's like you're on TV, but you're too good to just even look at the camera. <laughs> or, I mean, just even look up. Just you're texting. <laughs> it's funny. But, like, Adam Schefter will do it when he's, like, breaking news. Trying to break the latest free agency news in the NFL. Just, like, a... Just some, like, kid. Just, like, a teenage kid just texting on TV, though. It's funny. All right. Anywho. Let's get back to the the Hunger Games. Mockingjay. Part U. No, part... Yeah, U. Yeah, one. Part U. Effie Trinket. Resident Advisors is a TV miniseries from 2015. She plays Dr. Pitch Perfect D. Pitch Perfect T. She plays Gail, 2015. I do remember there being... I think they were on one of those boats where, like, you paddle. I think they were on a paddle boat. For some reason, I have that memory from Pitch Perfect 2. And the only other time I know I've seen a paddle boat is when I was in Minnesota. The old family reunion back in uh, August of 2016. It's so much fun. One of the most fun weeks of my life. Uh, 2015, Magic Mike XXL. She's Paris. So this is like the sequel. Uh, 115 minutes. Comedy, drama, music. Right, R. Three years after Mike bowed out the stripper life at the top of his game, he and the remaining kings of Tampa hit the road to Myrtle Beach to put on one last blowout performance. Isn't Shane Tames in it? Is Maddie? I thought Matthew McConaughey was in this movie, but I think he is. Pretty sure he is. Maybe not the sequel. Um, Maddie, Matt, alright, alright, alright. Hey guys, let's go to Myrtle Beach, alright? Um, TV show 2015, Wet Hot American Summer, first day of camp. On the old Netflix. She plays Lindsay, six episodes. Add to your Netflix queue if you, if you like. Um, I have not seen this one though. The only Wet Hot American Summer thing I've seen is the movie. And I think I've seen like one episode of the first TV show on Netflix. TV show 2015, The Muppets. She plays herself for two episodes. This was a TV on ABC. There was a show on ABC called The Muppets. Dang. Was this Jason Siegel? Because he was in the movie. 
No, it wasn't. No Jason Siegel, I guess. Okay. Video game. Oh, we haven't seen as many video games lately as we used to. We used to see a lot of video games. But uh, here's one. 2015. Lego Dimensions. A Lego video game. Wild Style. Uh, 2015. The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2. Effie Trinket. She's in the short from 2015 called Uber for Jen. She plays Jen. It's a three-minute short comedy. Um, wow. This looks pretty funny. A couple SNL people on it. Beck Bennett. Bobby Moynihan. Um, is that... And Vanessa... Vanessa Bayer as well. All right. What's it about? Jen's Uber ride takes a strange turn when her driver refuses to follow directions. Oh my gosh. That sounds like a intense. That could be a full-length movie. I don't know why they made that a short. They should make that into a movie. That'd be an intense movie. That'd be great. Uh, TV show 2015, Moonbeam City. She plays Pizzazz Miller for 10 episodes. So this was Call Me Central. It's a, another one of those adult cartoon, like an Archer spinoff, basically. Call Me Central. Let's see what's about. The show follows the exploits of Dazzle Novak, an idiotic detective who commits more crimes than the criminals he tries to lock up. With the glamorous, tyrannical chief Pizzazz Miller barking orders and Rad Cunningham, his obnoxious rival, rival stopping at nothing to destroy him, Dazzle has a lot on his plate. He teams up with the only competent police officer, Chrysalis Tate, to protect their beloved neon-soaked metropolis. Neon-soaked? I love that description. Sounds like Miami Vice. Neon-soaked. Uh, sounds like my Tolo dance. Our Tolo was a uh, neon themed senior year of high school. Um, and then I had a yeah, I had some neon vans from that. I think I finally got rid of those. They were neon green. I wore a neon green headband, neon green shirt. I like good stuff. I think. Which one should we? Let's just read a few pages. We mentioned it earlier. Let's spread the love. Let's spread the love around a little more. Let's read a little bit of uh, The Tao of Pooh by Benjamin Hoff. This is explaining the Chinese principle of Taoism or the ph philosophy of Taoism through our old friend Winnie the Pooh. So here we go. We were in the middle of the Carlston Pie chapter last episode. Uh, and we're talking about heffalumps. So here we go. And the best way to make sure that the heffalump gets into the trap once you've made it is to put something that the heffalump likes it, likes into it. Such as a bag of peanuts or honey, said Pooh. Honey? A jar of honey, said Pooh. Are you sure? A big jar of honey, Pooh insisted. Whoever heard of heffalumps liking honey? Sticky, gooey. How would they ever? The best thing, said Pooh. All right, honey, you put the honey in the trap, and before you know it, you've caught a, hmm, something went wrong. That's not a heffalump, but what is it? Maybe Piglet will find out 
when he goes to see what's in the trap. Help, help, cried Piglet. A heffalump, a horrible heffalump. And he scampered off as hard as he could, still crying out. Help, help, a horrible heffalump. Hoff, hoff, a hellable horlump. Ho, ho, a hoffable hellarump. And he didn't stop crying and scampering until he got to Christopher Robin's house. Whatever's the matter, Piglet, said Christopher Robin, who was just getting up. Hef, said Piglet, breathing so hard that he could hardly speak. A hell, a hef, a hefalump. Where? Up there, said Piglet, waving his paw. What did it look like? Like, like, it had the biggest head you ever saw, Christopher Robin. A great, enormous thing. Like, like nothing. A huge, big, well, like a, I don't know, like a enormous, big nothing. Like a jar. <clears throat> so the honey wasn't such a good thing to use after all. We didn't think that it really matched the nature of heffalumps somehow. <clears throat> Alright, that's that's good for that. I just wanted to read a little bit of the Tao of Pooh. Just give it a little a little shout. Since we've been reading that the past few episodes. Um let's read a little bit more of this um fascinating the fiction issue. I do like the idea of ESPN Magazine doing an entire issue of all fiction. That's so cool. Such a great idea. I'm surprised Sports Illustrated didn't follow suit. Um, that'd be funny if ESPN Magazine did like a fiction... They could do a fiction calendar. Like how Sports Illustrated does the swimsuit calendar. ESPN could do a fictional swimsuit calendar. <laughs> And then it's just all, like, TV characters and movie characters. It's just, like, Marge Simpson. And, like, I don't know. Anyone. Fresh Prince. You name it. Seinfeld. Elaine. There's one for all of them. That'd be a good idea. I like that. ESPN could do a fiction fictional calendar. There might be some, like, copyright, like, trademark issues, though, I'm sure. <laughs> With, like, those very popular things. Anyway, that was just a crazy idea. This light bulb popped up in my head. Let's read a little bit more of this, uh, it, about this column about the foaming 40s team. Here we go. Thursday night at another game, and this time the foaming 40s are down by 19. It's a bloodbath. Their opponents, the Yo 420 Blazers, have started five guys in their 20s. The 40s have just one man under 40. Cole's Intrepid, intrepid band of warriors is being crushed by a team of slackers too big to care. At the low point, just before halftime, Cole stands at midcourt watching one of his teammates air, airball a free throw. The Blazers point guard, who has scored a dozen in board shorts and skate shoes, sidles up next to him and says, Hope that dude doesn't go into labor. <laughs> the dude in question, Jay Colborn, or Cheese, as Cole and his teammates call him, is the youngest and newest member of the Foaming 40s, a 36-year-old in his first season. Cheese is in spectacularly bad shape, just eight years from a fatal heart attack. Even now, his beer gut is so pronounced the thing actually has dimples. I don't think that free throw line is regulation, Cheese says, as the 40s mill around the buzz after the buzzer, waiting for the second half. There's nothing to talk about except they'll go for beers after the game. Except where they'll go for beers. That's when Cole tells them he's quit drinking. And I've quit breathing, Haas says. Cole insists he's serious. 
Yesterday morning, he says, his ex-wife came over to tell him that he needed to get back together with his ex-girlfriend. Eck opens his mouth to comment, but there are so many things wrong with this scenario, he can't figure out what to address first. For two days, Cole says, he's been mulling Andrea's words, and this morning, he had what he could only describe as an epiphany, a major life change. What if future archaeologists aren't fooled by stupid rec league basketball injuries, he says. What if they see his moldering bones for what they truly are, the remains of a divorced loser who lived and died above his friend's furniture warehouse, eating microwave refried beans from a can? <laughs> um, mm, says Cheese, with Fritos, right? Um, yeah, there we go. It's right at the end of that page. Let's just cut it off. Just mid, mid uh, paragraph, pretty much. A good place to stop there. Um, let's get back to good old Lizzie Banks, the older sister of Agent Cody Banks, the unofficial older sister. Uh, short from 2016, the Lego movie 4D, a new adventure, and she's the voice of Wildstyle. Um, TV series? Celebrity Conversations, one episode, 2016. What is that? Oh, there's no no plot description. So if you work for EMDB, IMDb, or if you know anyone who has access to IMDb, go ahead and... Uh, or if you work for uh, Celebrity Conversations, maybe add your plot to IMDb. I don't know. What's, what's the Lego Movie 4D, though? What? Someone, like, throws Legos at you or something? How's a 4D? You have to build the Legos while you're at the movie theater in the dark. You have to just put together a whole set of Legos. Uh, that'd be kind of fun, though. An interactive Lego movie. It's kind of like Legoland, I guess. Um, let's see. Lego Movie 4D. A New Adventure. It's a Legoland ride taking place after the events of the 2014 movie. Okay, so it's just like a Legoland ride. Speaking of Legoland, it's a it's a short about a ride. Here's speaking of shorts. Here's here's another one called Asteroids! Exclamation point Asteroids! She plays Cheese. Oh, here we go. Maybe my favorite sitcom of all time. Definitely like top three sitcoms right here. She's Sal for six episodes. Modern Family. Modern Family. God, I love this one. Love this show. Great show. Uh, comedy, romance, 22 minutes. Three different but related families face trials and tribulations in their own uniquely comedic ways. Yep. Talked about a lot. I had one of those... 365 day calendars for the show where every single day there's a different piece of paper that you tear off and I had a quote from Modern, from Modern Family for each one loved it that was a great year that was probably 20 I'd say that's like 2014 or 2015 that was a few years back um let's read a little bit more let's read a little more of a night hoops right now <laughs> Let's do, I can't help it. I got the, oh, this is such a short, 
This chapter is only a page and a half right here of uh, Carl Duker's Night Hoops. Here we go. Mom came home at six carrying a bag of groceries. Michael lost a lot of blood, she said, as she set the bag on the kitchen table and began unpacking it. They took a bullet out of his chest, three inches from his heart, but he's going to make it. Her voice caught, and she stopped to blow her nose. Then she was all business again. I'm going to stop. I'm going to make some spaghetti and bring it over to the Ushikas. I'm sure they haven't had a decent meal all day. Scott's over there now with Katya. He'll probably stay and eat with them. You and I can get something later, okay? Sure, I said. Then as she turned on the burner under the big pot of water, I asked a question I'd been afraid to ask. Do they know who did it? She nodded in the direction of the Dawson house, her eyes filled with tears. It was Zach, she whispered. Then she cut open the package of spaghetti and broke the long strands in half. Watching her fight back tears made my eyes well, made my eyes well up too. Uh, if I had stayed there, I'd have been bawling like a baby. So I went up to my room and turned on the radio. Mom brought the spaghetti over to the Ushkovs and then phoned to say she wouldn't be home until late. I ended up eating a ham sandwich alone at the kitchen table. Afterward, I tried to watch TV, but I couldn't get interested. Around 8, the telephone rang again. This time, Dad's voice was on the other end. He started out by grilling me about what had happened. After I told him everything I knew, there was a long pause. Then came the lecture. If I saw Zach, I was to call the police. But don't give your name. Just say where he is, then hang up. You understand? Dad, there's a police car parked in front of his house. They don't need me looking for him. If he comes around, uh, they'll see him. You don't know that. His voice was sharp. Now, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I understand. Good. And from now on, as far as you're concerned, Trent Dawson does not exist. You see him, you treat him like he's a ghost. I don't want you to have anything to do with him. Not play basketball with him, not talk with him, not even nod hello to him. Stay completely clear. But Trent didn't do anything, I said. He was with me when it happened. I don't care if he was with the President of the United States. You're to have nothing to do with him. Am I making myself clear? Yeah, I muttered. Okay then, that's settled. There's a long pause. Is your mom there? No, she and Scott are at the Ushkovs. Well, you tell her I called, and you tell Scott what I said about both Dawson's, because the same things go for him. Okay. Again, there was a long pause. Then he took me by surprise. I love you some, he said. I don't mean to yell at you. I just want you to be safe. I love you too, Dad, I said. After I hung up the phone, I sat on the sofa and stared at the design in the carpet, that, that big lump in the back of my throat. Uh, back of my throat. Then, out of nowhere, I got mad. If he loved me so damn much, why did I only hear from him when he wanted to give me orders or criticize what I was doing? Ends on it. Ends on an angry note there at the end of chapter two. Oh man. Is that spaghetti? Is that the right thing to eat in that kind of a crisis situation? I feel like she could, I'm like criticizing his mom. I feel like she could have made something more, more hearty than spaghetti. Maybe like a lasagna or something. I don't know. I'm just saying if I, if it was me, I might've gone lasagna. I might've gone, uh, Pizza even. Maybe just order pizza. Actually, ordering pizza is more of like a celebration. Like, 
it's more of like a party thing. So that might have the wrong vibe. But maybe like a good casserole. Whatever happened to a good casserole? Um, okay. Let's do it. Let's get back to Liz. Lizzie B. 2017. I want to do a little... Let's talk a little Martin Family. I want to do Martin Family. And, um... We'll read some, uh... Fun facts about it. I want some trivia. Oh, Mental Floss is already... We just used Mental Floss a couple a couple days ago. Maybe was that yesterday? Even? I think it was. Here's um Marn Family from Mental Floss. Fifteen surprising facts about Marn Family. There was an explanation for the mockumentary style. Um, why are the Dumfies and Pritchett always talking to the camera? There's no reason, but originally the show had one. Marn Family was a, originally or initially conceived as a documentary shot by Geert Flirt, a Dutch filmmaker who had lived with the Pritchett years ago as a teenager, a teenage exchange student, and came back to the U.S. as an adult to film them. What? It was going to be a documentary about... Wow. But Geert got cut before Modern Family entered production because show creators Steve Leviton and Christopher Lloyd, no, not the actor, decided he was unnecessary. Hit the road, Geert Flirt. Uh, back to the sauna. Um, the show was simply shot documentary style without the fictitious camera crew. Okay, there. That's very interesting. Oh my gosh, I'm sure Geert Flirt is probably just like seething in uh, the Netherlands right now. He's just over there in like some cafe. He's just like, I could have been famous. I could have been a millionaire. That's my money. That's my modern family money. That's my Tesla. <laughs> I should be driving that Tesla. Um, Tesla's like the new Prius. I just realized that. I'm going to write that down. I like that. I feel like that's a very astute observation. I don't know why. It's not necessarily funny, but equals the new Prius. I think it's just true. It's just more true than anything. I don't know. Sometimes things don't have to be funny. There's true things to make you think. Tesla is the new Prius. Huh. <laughs> what What does that mean? Uh, Craig T. Nelson was offered the role of Jay Prichett. So it was going to be coach. Rob Hubel aggressively turned down the part of being Phil Dunphy. Rob Hubel from a children's hospital. And lots of funny things. That dude's hilarious. What? That would have been a... He's been in the show, too, I think. He's guest starred in it. He would have been hilarious as Phil Dunphy. But, um... I like... I like, uh... Ty Burrell. He's funny. Um... Julie Bowen was very pregnant during the first episode. What? When Julie Bowen auditioned for the role of Claire Dunphy, she was heavily pregnant with her twin sons, Gus and John. Although she was convinced this would take her out of the running, she won the part anyway. But she still hadn't reached her due date when it came time to shoot the pilot, so she masked her belly with strategic cereal boxes. And then there's a picture of a cereal box in front of Claire Dunphy's 
pregnant belly. Wow. That's funny. That's crazy. Um, a set of twins played Baby Lily, and they hated it. That's funny. That's kind of like Mary Kay and Ashley. Didn't they play, like, the same character in Full House? Eric Stone Street was Fizbo the Clown as a kid. Oh, my gosh. That's some of the funniest Martin Family... Um, one of the funniest Martin Family episodes ever is the Fizbo the Clown episode. When uh, Cam becomes his uh, alter ego. Let's see. Stone Street began dressing up as Fizbo when he was nine years old. His dream was to be a clown in the circus. By the time he was 11, he was performing at kids' birthday parties. What? <laughs> he's like the same age as them. Or they're older than them. And he's performing at their party. That's so funny. That'd be funny if he was performing at a party and the kids were older than him. That's hilarious. Um... It was my way then as a young man to express my desire to entertain and perform, he told the Kansas City Star. I didn't know that what I was saying then was that I wanted to be an actor. I had parents, fortunately, who didn't think I was weird. They thought it was funny and cute and encouraged me to do it. And I had a grandma who would make my costumes. Wow, that's like a family operation there. Eric Stone Street seems like a really cool guy. He seems really funny and in real life, I've seen him. He's been on podcasts before. He's been on um, College Game Day when they were at uh, Kansas State, his alum. Um, and it says he's not sure where the name Fizbo came from. Um, the writers wrote Jesse Tyler Ferguson's attempt at coming out into the show. Jesse Tyler Ferguson is Mitch. Um, in real life, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, who producers initially went for the role of Cam, had to come out to his father three times in order for him to accept it. So the so the writers made that part of Mitchell's story in Martin Family. Oh, okay, that's funny. <laughs> his dad, he had to come out to his dad three times in order for him to accept it. I wish I could see... I want to see, like, what his dad's reaction the first two times was. He just, like, walks away. Maybe he just, like, shrugged him off. He's like, meh. Or, I don't know. That's that's rough, though. <laughs> Dang, that's so rough. I feel bad for Jesse Tyler Ferguson. Uh, what a rough childhood for him. Maybe his dad just pretended, like, he didn't hear him or something. He's like, I need hearing aids. <laughs> um, wow, that's funny. Sofia Vergara thought Ed O'Neill spoke Spanish. Sofia Vergara watched Married with Children growing up in Colombia, where the voices were dubbed into Spanish. She didn't realize that it wasn't Ed O'Neill saying Al Bundy's lines in Spanish, and was surprised to find that he couldn't speak her native language when they first met. He had a very sexy Antonio Banderas voice, the guy who was dubbing him, says Vergara. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, Antonio Banderas, Antonio Banderas, the British people in that Heineken commercial, Antonio Banderas, uh, okay, O'Neill's characters have been reading the same newspaper for almost 30 years, and then there's a picture of his character from Modern Family, and then Married, and Child Married with Children, both reading newspapers, 
Um, there was a secret dog switch. Jay and Gloria's dog, Stella, was played by a French bulldog named Bridget in seasons two and three, then replaced by another dog named Beatrice. The animal acting agency in charge of subleasing Bridget dropped her as a client for unknown reasons. Luke Dunphy is actually a genius. Uh, Nolan Gold's character may not be bright, but Gold has been a member of Mensa since he was four years old. He has an IQ of 150 and graduated from high school when he was 13. <laughs> That's so funny. In juxtaposition, juxtaposition to his character. Because Luke is like the classic, just get hit in the head by a basketball character. Same with Phil, though. That's where he learned it, from his dad. Um, the show is especially popular with rich people. Each year, Nielsen tracks data on TV viewership to find out who's watching which shows. After the company released his 2015 stats, Vulture discovered this interesting fact. Rich people love Martin Family. It was the second most popular show among viewers in the 18 to 49 age bracket, whose household earnings average uh, annual income over 200000 And guess what was number one? That zombie show. The Walking Dead. The Walking Dead. Why do why would rich people love the like it makes sense why they love Martin Family because that all the characters are rich pretty much. They all yeah they're all rich. They live in nice houses, drive nice cars. But why would rich people want to watch The Walking Dead? That seems like a college show, like a show that college kids like. Just a bunch of zombies walking around, post apocalyptic, barren landscape. It doesn't make like I thought rich people watch like Survivor and like yeah like Martin Family Wheel of Fortune <laughs> um I don't know The Walking Dead is kind of a wacky one to be first for for that income bracket I guess There's an inside joke about Ed O'Neill's jujitsu skills In season one, Jay shows off his Brazilian jujitsu chops. When he puts Mitchell in a sleeper hold. I learned this choke from the Gracie brothers. He tells Mitch. Jay is re referencing the legendary Gracie martial arts family. The Brazilian clan has produced several generations of competitive fighters. Who have passed on their techniques. Through Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Academy in California. O'Neill is actually a student there. He's a black belt now. But it took him a while to earn that status. Um. Wow. That's crazy. You never know. That's the thing about jujitsu. Is it's like the invisible skill. I mean, like just like a lot of things. Like a lot of things you can't tell. But especially with like jujitsu. Like you would never just looking at Ed O'Neill, looking at Jay Pritchett, you would never guess that he can just like choke you out. But <laughs> I guess that's why you you don't judge a book by his cover. You don't you don't judge a martial artist by their cover. <laughs> uh, 14. There was a Facebook petition for Mitchell and Cameron to kiss. In 2010, the Let Cam and Mitchell Kiss on Martin Family Facebook petition was launched. In September of that year, the characters kissed on camera for the first time in the background of a scene. That's weird. How they, Why wouldn't they just make it like the focal point of the scene? Like they didn't want to take that... That big step. <laughs> There's like... 
just throw them in the background. That's kind of funny. Uh, and the final one. Your final fun fact about Modern Family here. Lin-Manuel Miranda had a pre-Hamilton cameo. A full four years before Hamilton became the hottest Broadway ticket in town, the Martin family casting team decided to tap Lin-Manuel for an episode. Miranda was low-known at the time, won casting director Jeff Greenberg over with his impressive knowledge of the show. So I guess over at Martin family, if you just suck up to the directors, you're just a huge fan of the show. They, they're like, yeah, you can come on. You can be on it. Um, I'm sure that works at a lot of places, though. Just... You just gotta like suck up and be tell people how big a fan of them you are. Just be really nice. Uh, <laughs> he came in and quoted episode after episode, line after line, joke after joke, and we loved him. Greenberg told the Observer, he gave Miranda a part as Gloria's dog trainer and was rewarded handsomely. Thank God we did cast him because now he gets me Hamilton tickets. Greenberg said, "Land remembered." <laughs> That's awesome. That's nice. See, that's he. He ends up being nice in the beginning, when he goes in, and then, in the end, full circle. After he's famous, he's still nice. Gives him tickets. Um, let's do some more fun facts. I love these Modern Family fun facts. Uselessdaily.com. Yeah, I just not what I was saying about Lin Manuel Miranda. I feel like I need to come back, circle back around to this. Do a whip a little U-turn to my moped here. Um, I just like how the fame didn't change him. It's like the old cliche. He didn't change when he got famous. He was still that nice person that he was in the beginning. Still um, giving away the free tickets. Those are the best people that stay authentic to themselves when they're famous. Uh, let's see. This is uselessdaily.com. Some more Modern Family facts. Ed O'Neill was almost a football player. In 1969, he was signed by the Pittsburgh Steelers as an outside linebacker, but released before the regular season began. Outside linebacker. Wow. Uh, I thought he. I could see him more as like a center or something. Long snapper. Um, excuse me. I'm sure he was. Definitely, like, an outside linebacker shape back in the day. Chase, he's a big dude, too. Chase a big guy. All right, uh, number two, the Dumfies were in a Got Milk, Milk Mustache campaign. I've never seen that. But I definitely remember those from, like, Sports Illustrated. Sports Illustrated for kids magazines. Way back in the day. Way back when we used to get uh, SI for kids. Probably got that back in like 03, 04, 05, those years. That was a fun magazine. My dad loves, he loves keeping all the Sports Illustrated. I don't know how many he has, but he certainly hasn't kept them all. Because that would be 50, 52 a year, so that'd be a lot. Um, Yes, Eric Stone Street is a straight man. He's not... Uh, he's not gay. The guy who plays Cam is not gay. If y'all didn't know that. I feel like most people know that. Manny's full name is Manuel Alberto Javier Alejandro Delgado. Yes, I remember when they said that. That's so funny. 
Manuel Alberto Javier Alejandro Delgado. El, Ed O'Neill has been reading the same newspaper for 20 years. Oh, yep, they're the same thing as the other one. Um, Ed O'Neill has two daughters named Claire and Sophia. And then on the show, he has a daughter named Claire. And his wife is named Sophia. Wow, that's weird. Uh, Britney Spears was offered a role in season three. Marn Family co-creator Steve Leviton told E! Online that Britney's camp responded at the end of the third season, so it was too late for the year. He stated, if we use someone like Britney Spears, who is just a presence, we need to make sure that it's okay for us and works within our show. That there's some fresh take on using her in the show. That would have been cool. Was that when she was had her head shaved? That would have been fun if she came on when she had her head shaved. She could play like, I don't know, a rock star. Uh, number 10, Ed O'Neill was a former social studies teacher at Ursuline High School and was signed, yep, Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, yep, Ty Burrell. Ty Burrell owns a bar in Utah. Phil Dunphy used to live in Salt Lake City and co-owns a bar with his brother Duncan called Bar X. I had no idea. What? <laughs> Why didn't they... I feel like some like fan just wrote that as like fan fiction or something. I don't think they've ever mentioned Phil Dunphy living in Salt Lake City or even having a brother. Wait, who plays Duncan Dunphy? We need to see who plays Duncan Dunphy now. Um, I do remember if it's maybe it's Haley Joel Osmond's. It might be. No, not not Duncan Trestle. Duncan Dunphy. Okay, nothing comes up. That's because it doesn't exist. Oh, <laughs> nothing came up. No, nothing Martin family related came up. I'll say Phil Dunphy brother. Let's see what happens. That's so funny that you search some Duncan Dunphy and nothing comes up. Yeah, I think that I'm pretty sure that Duncan Dunphy thing was a fan fiction right there. I'm gonna say that's not true. Because that, that definitely sounds made up, that bar X thing. Okay, anyway. Um, Sarah Highland has kidney dysplasia. She was diagnosed when she was nine, and last year her father donated a kidney when she needed a transplant. Wow, that's a good dad. It's a running gag throughout the first season that Phil is going to fix that step. Yep, they always trip on a step going upstairs in the Dumphy house. It's a classic gag. Um, Sophia Vergara's son is named after a Scarface character. Her son, Manolo, was named after Stephen Bauer's character in the movie. Maybe you recognize Stephen Bauer as Avi, Avi from Ray Donovan. They're just like assuming you watch Ray Donovan. Maybe, maybe Ray Donovan is one of those shows that rich people watch. I could see that. That seems like, I mean, any show on like HBO or Showtime is a show that rich people watch because you have to pay extra for those channels, for those subscriptions. So, makes sense. Um, unless you steal someone's HBO Go account or if you just ask them for the information, just ask them to share it. Uh, let's see. Just find a friend. Find a friend and ask them to share their HBO Go account with you. There you go. That's the, that's the best reason to find a friend. Get their HBO Go. <laughs> Get that Game of Thrones. Binge those those dragon 
Dragon movies. Um, TV movies. Let's see. Julie Bowen was in Happy Gilmore. Uh, Claire Dunphy. Yep, yep. It was no leading actor or actress for Modern Family. Wait, what? Since season one, all the actors and actresses have made a pact to submit themselves to the awards as supporting actor or actresses. Okay. So none of them submit themselves as a leading role. That makes sense. Uh, Phil's birthday is April 3rd. Well, I mean, it is an ensemble cast. That totally makes sense. Because, exactly, none of them are any more important than any of the other characters. All the characters in Modern Family are pretty much equally important. They all bring something to the table. Um, let's see, Phil's birthday is April 3rd. During the Game Changer episode, season 1, episode 19, Phil jokes that the original iPads are released on his birthday. The iPad comes out on my actual birthday. It's like Steve Jobs and God got together to say, We love you, Phil. <laughs> Some water there. That's so funny. Phil's, Phil's my favorite character. If I had to choose my favorite character, I'd say Phil. Um, That's hilarious. Ariel Winter, who plays Alex Dunphy, has a purple belt in Taekwondo. Um, Julie Bowen wears a pacemaker. Rico Rodriguez's older sister is Rainy, who's known her for roles in a uh, Paul Blart too. Oh, Paul Blart Mall Cop, yes, the old Paul, the old uh, Paul Blart Two podcast. I love that. Um, Till Death Do Us Blart podcast. It's the one where each Thanksgiving they do one episode a year, and they each Thanksgiving they rewatch uh, Paul Blart Two and talk about it. But um, I love it. I love that idea for a podcast of rewatching something, rewatching a movie and talking about it each year. It's hilarious because you discover different bits and pieces about it each time. Like it's it's like little hidden Easter eggs. You find them each time. But um, yeah, I didn't know that that was Manny's real life older sister. That's fun. She was also in. Girl in Progress and her Disney show Austin and Alley. In college, Stone Street was studying criminal justice before he landed an acting career. Hmm. Uh, Sofia Vergara battled cancer. She was diagnosed with thyroid cancer in 2000 when she was 28 years old, but a full recovery after treatment. Wow. Nolan Gold plays the banjo. On an episode of Ellen, she gave him a ban brand new banjo and he played her a song what what's a good banjo song like i wonder if he played like a modern song modern song it's a it's a modern family singing competition modern song yeah but i feel like you could play like a cold play song and sound good on the banjo uh yeah sophia forgot may seem like a natural Oh, wow, she was nearly a dentist. She was pre-dental in her native country of Colombia, Colombia, but she dropped out two semesters short of graduating. Okay, wow, this is some fun facts right there. I like it. Uh, let's bounce back to 
Let's do one more. We'll do one more Liz Banks here. Um, Power Rangers 2017. Rita Repulsa. I was never like a huge Power Rangers person growing up as a kid. I mean, I definitely had the like the action figures though. So, but I don't think I watched like there's a TV show, right? I don't think I watched it much. Power Rangers though, it's a long movie. Wow, 124 minutes, PG-13, action, adventure, sci-fi. Group of high school students who are infused with unique superpowers. Harness their abilities in order to save the world. Wow. Wow. Um, let's read a few more. North Carolina. World War II battleship North Carolina is permanently berthed on the Cape Fear River at Wilmington. She was saved from the scrap heap in the 1960s by public subscription, including donations of dimes by school children. That reminds me of... Uh, the March of the Dimes, doing that in high school for uh, FBLA, a club I was a part of, Future Business Leaders of America, did those in like Mr. Lee's classes, like accounting and business and all that, all those good classes that everyone should be required to take in high school, like f- personal finance, all the very useful stuff. Um, I think every... I think everyone should be required to take a cooking class at some point. Maybe in like, yeah, like high school or college, either one. But everyone should learn how to cook. That'd be like a really good skill for people to have. And the personal financing too. Everyone should be required to take a personal finance class in high school. I think that'd be cool. Uh, the first English colony. Because I mean, that just sets people up for success. Like... That's that's what school that's what the point school is supposed to be. It's supposed to set you up for success in your later life, in your career. So I mean, I think they should teach more like concrete skills like that. Personal finance, cooking, like even like a social skill like a social skills class, like teaching you how to like do job interviews and like that kind of stuff. Like fill out applications, uh logistical stuff. I think yeah, that'd be good. Teach you how to like search for a job, all that kind of, all that kind of good stuff. Um, very be very valuable. The first English colony in America was located on Roanoke Island. Walter Raleigh founded it. The colony mysteriously vanished with no trace except for the word Croatoan scrawled on a nearby tree. Yeah, because I'm still thinking about like the, te- the classes that should be re- required. I think they should also. Um, put more emphasis on like which major you choose and like like why you want to do that major like for what reasons because like what jobs will be offered once you complete it just so like kids know going in that they're not going to go get like a philosophy or like a psychology major and then they're gonna like know what to expect once they get out of college or if they do like a fine arts major or something they're going to know it's going to be, like, tough to find a job or something. Like, tough to find, like, a 9-to-5 job. They'll have to be, like, an artist, an artiste. But I think there should be more emphasis put on, like, like informing kids about um, which majors are good, like, financially, which ones are good for 
creative people, like creative people, which ones are good for, like how they fit, how the major fits you, and um, I don't, I don't know if it really matters that much. Like at the end of the day, like what major you do in college, though. I guess you can really work like any job except for like a lawyer or something, because you have to go like law school for something like that, or like a doctor, stuff that requires additional schooling. But I don't know. I think. I think it sets you on the right track, though. Anywho, that's enough education talk for the day. <laughs> that's your education update. Uh, Mount Mitchell in the Blue Ridge Mountains is the highest peak east of the Mississippi. It towers 6,684 feet above sea level. The Venus flytrap is native to Hampstead. Oh, now we gotta look up. This is like one of those things that... You know how you have those things that just fascinates you? This is one of those for me. Uh, the Venus flytrap. I had no idea it was from North Carolina. would never guess it was even from America. Excuse me. Okay, here we go. It catches the prey. Oh my gosh, if you don't know what Venus flytrap is, I'd be too scared to watch a video of something getting caught inside of one, though. It seems scary. Um, it catches prey, chiefly insects and arachnids, with a trapping structure formed by the terminal portion of each of the plant's leaves, which is triggered by tiny hairs, called trigger hairs or sensitive hairs, on their inner surfaces. Or like, alright, so when an insect, insect or spider crawling along the leaves contacts a hair, the trap prepares to close snapping shut only if another contact occurs within approximately 20 seconds of the first strike. Triggers may occur if one-tenth of the insect is within contact. Just the tiniest one-tenth of an insect, the tiniest little bit. The requirement of redundant triggering in this mechanism serves as a safeguard against wasting energy by trapping objects with no nutritional value. And the plant will only begin digestion after five or five more stimuli to ensure it has caught a live bug worthy of consumption so it's very efficient it's an efficient plant it's the uh the tesla of plants or the uh prius the new prius of plants well if that was tesla's like marketing slogan the new prius <laughs> you probably couldn't do that i guess i'd definitely make some copyright against that um, wow. The first miniature golf course ever was built in Fayetteville. This is the f miniature golf started in North Carolina. No way. Um, mini golf. Let's see. I don't believe it. I feel like we have to go to like a, a second source here to confirm this to be true. Um, yeah, here it says, North Carolina, there we go, we've confirmed it, um, I can't believe it, the Venus first Krispy Kremes, then the Venus flytrap, now mini golf, just, North Carolina just keeps getting cooler and cooler, uh, Babe Ruth hit his first home run in Fayetteville on March 7th, 1914, Winston-Salem was created when the two towns, Winston and Salem combined, I feel like that's like an unnecessary fun fact. That's like, we could figure that one out. 
It's like a marriage. Like, they got married. Like, you know how when people get married and they combine their names sometimes? Winston and Salem got married. And Raleigh was the... Raleigh was the, um... Priest. Alright. The Biltmore Estate in Asheville is America's largest home and includes a 255-room chateau. A chateau. Sounds so fancy. An award-winning winery and extensive gardens. Biltmore Estate. Oh, man. We gotta see what... Gotta see what this Biltmore Estate has to offer here. This sounds... I mean, you you guys know how I, I like a mansion by the sea. But I don't know if this one's by the sea, but either way. No, Asheville's not by the sea. That's way that's way inland. That's western North Carolina. Um, that's like the Blue Ridge Mountains. Blue Ridge Mountain, West Virginia. Uh, Shenandoah River. Alright. This is I'm looking right now. Oh my god. Oh a hundred one hundred seventy-eight thousand nine hundred twenty-six square feet. Oh my god. That's like that's like twenty of Shaq's houses. That's like twenty Shaq houses. What? That's insane No way. No way. Um, let's see. I want to see, like, how many bathrooms does it have? That's what I want to know. 40, 43 bathrooms. <laughs> it's like a hotel. Um, four acres of floor space. 250 rooms in the house. 250? 35 bedrooms? 43 bathrooms, 65 fireplaces. What? (laughs) Why does it have so many fireplaces? There's just like a bunch of... That means like there's a bunch of shag carpet like in front of all those. There's 65 shag rugs, shag carpets, and mugs of hot cocoa. Um, Wait, there's only three kitchens. I feel like there could be 33 kitchens. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, 19th century novelties such as electric elevators, forced air heating, century, centrally controlled clocks, fire alarms, and a call bell system. Principal rooms of the house are located on the ground floor. Wow. The banquet hall is the largest room in the house, measuring 42 feet wide and 72 feet long. Basically, I'm just picturing, um, I think we talked about this Simpsons episode, the one where the Simpson family stays at Mr. Burns' mansion when he's gone, and I'm just picturing Homer sitting and yelling, sitting at the far side of the, of the dinner table, that super long dinner table, and he's just like yelling, like, pass the salt, <laughs> but that's why I pictured when I heard that banquet room. Um, I really do love the Simpson. The mantle had been stored in the stable for over... Okay, so let's just talk about a mantle. Um, let's see. Showcases a mantle designed by Hunt 
in a large engraving by Albrecht Durer, Albrecht Durer called the Triumphal Arch, commissioned by the Holy Ro Roman Emperor Maximilian I. The mantle had been stored in the stable for over 80 years. Um, let's see what's on the second floor. It's accessed by cantilevered grand staircase. What's that mean? What's cantilevered? Cantilevered. Let's do another fun fact. Well, the first English child born in America was born in Roanoke in 1587. Her name was Virginia Dare. Truth or Dare? That sounds like a weird game of Truth or Dare. Like, what's a, what would a Virginia Dare be? It'd be like, what's a really Virginia thing? To run for president. Because Virginia is the state with all the presidents from it. Um... There you go. There's that's what a Virginia Dare is. Now I'm gonna look up cantilevered. 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 A long projecting beam or girder fixed at only one end used in bridge construction. Okay, I see. It's it's like a bit of like a I don't know. I was always bad at um physics. Like physics was always one of the most confusing. It's like a fulcrum. It's like one of those fulcrum things, I guess. Maybe. Don't take my word for it because physics was always my roughest classes. I was always just like, what? But I do remember um, my physics teacher. Oh, it must have been seventh grade. I think it was. No, that was 10th grade. It was 10th grade at Bothell High School. Mr. McDonald. I think he grew up in Spokane. But he told us this story about when he was, he was like with friends growing up and they were running around on the train tracks and they were on some train tracks over a bridge, like over a huge canyon and the train came and they had to like jump down and like somehow hid like under the tracks or something. I just remember him like telling us about running for his life from a train just how crazy that it's like wow you're a physics teacher now what a life <laughs> physics I wonder if that had anything to do with him becoming a physics teacher he's like I need to teach the physics of how to run away from a train I don't know how, how does that apply do those things relate trains have some physics I suppose like there's definitely I'm sure Train engineers and people who design those tracks and the trains, the locomotives, I'm sure they use physics a lot, so maybe there is some relation there. But I feel like a moment like that would scar me forever. Like I, I probably would think about that like every day of my life, maybe. I don't know. Every day of my life? Um, third floor. So I'm looking third floor. A number of guest rooms with names that Describe the furnishing or artist that they were decorated with. The fourth floor has 21 bedrooms that were inhabited by housemaids, laundresses, and other female servants. Dang, so a lot of bedrooms on the fourth floor. There's a bachelor's wing. Nice. It's where you watch the bachelors, the, the bachelor TV show <laughs> in the bachelor's wing. Uh, the billiard room is decorated with an ornamental plaster ceiling and rich oak paneling and was equipped with both 
a custom-made pool table, and a carom table, which is a table without pockets. Which, I don't get... I think there's some other type of pool game. I'm gonna say, like, pool without pockets. Yep. It's like some weird game. Carom billiards. Let's see. How how does carom billiards work? How does the game work? Um, carom billiards. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna transition right over to carom billiards real quick. Quick segue over here. It's a family of billiards games played on cloth covered tables. In these games, the players strike heavy balls with sticks called cues. Carom billiards tables have no pockets or openings where balls are sunk that snooker or pool tables do. In the simplest form, the object of carom billiards is to score points or counts by bouncing one's own ball, called a cue ball, off of the other two balls on the table. Okay, so you're just trying to... It's like bumper cars for pool. Uh, the date of the first carom game was invented is not known. Also, how exactly the games were developed and which game was first is not known. However, Karen Biller's games are believed to have started sometime in the 18th, 18th century in France in France and Europe. Okay. Okay, there we go. There's Karen Biller's. Let's get back to the bachelor's wing. I wonder who else is in this bachelor's wing. Um, excuse me. Here we go. The room was mainly frequented by men, but ladies were welcome to enter as well. Secret door panels on either side of the fireplace led to the private quarters of the bachelor's wing, where female guests and staff members were not allowed. The wing includes the smoking room, which was fashionable for country houses, and the gun room, which held mounted trophies and displayed George Vanderbilt's gun collection. Yeah, that pretty much sounds like a bachelor's wing to me let's see what's in the basement they should have like a they would have if it was like a current bachelor's wing they would have like a big flat screen tv like a Fortnite game of Fortnite set up big beanbag chairs like one of those gamer chairs like a gamer recliner um get like a that'd be cool to have like a sauna in the bash that would be something to have in the bachelor's wing would be a sauna that would be nice. Maybe like a basketball hoop. Ooh. I wouldn't mind having a half, one of those half basketball courts fit that in the bachelor's wing over there. Um, Let's see what's in the basement. It has activity rooms, which features... Ooh, so here's your activity rooms. Okay, so they didn't put them in the bachelor wing. They put them in the basement. All the fun stuff. 70,000 gallon swimming pool. Uh, with underwire lighting, a bowling alley, and a gymnasium with once state of the art fitness equipment. Once state, I wonder what the once state of the art fitness equipment is. It's just like, I like to picture like a giant ball of hay. It's like this was this was state of the art at one point. Used to just pick up the, used to pick up the ball of hay and just throw it as far as you could. Call an old fashioned deadlift. <laughs> what else would be in the the state-of-the-art, the once state-of-the-art fitness equipment. It'd be, like, instead of, oh, you could have tires. Oh, you could have the old, the giant bike wheels. Yes, instead of uh, tires that you run through for, like, football practice, you just run through 
uh, chop your feet through the giant the giant bike wheel and the giant bike wheels just laid out on the ground there we go and then one more thing in the old there would just be like a horse like a mule in the, in the corner it's just like yeah you just you just ride the mule around the room that was a that was a mind a mindful ex- exercise it's more of a spiritual exercise one of the mind and the body <laughs> i'm just trying to think of other once state of the art equipment there's like a guillotine but it's like a, a guillotine without a blade in it and you just use it to lift use it as like a curl machine um okay the service hub of the house is also found in the largest basement in the u.s uh as a location for the main kitchen pastry kitchen rotisserie kitchen so it's the largest basement in the u.s um, walk-in fridges, um, provide an early form of the mechanical, mechanical refrigeration, the servants' dining hall, laundry rooms, and additional bedrooms for staff. Vanderbilt envisioned a park-like setting for his home, employed landscape architect Frederick Law Olmsted to design the gar- grounds. Um, Olmsted was not impressed with the condition of the 125,000 acres and advised for a park surrounding the house, establishing farms along the river and replanting the rest as a commercial timber forest, a plan to which Vanderbilt agreed. Gifford Pinchot and later Carl A. Shank were hired to manage the forest, with Shank establishing the first forestry education program in the U.S., the Biltmore Forest School and the state grounds in 1898. Um, huh. Okay. Let's read back to North Carolina. North Carolina facts. The Lost Colony Outdoor Drama in Albemarle, Albemarle, Lost Colony Outdoor Drama in Albemarle, commemorates the birth of Virginia Dare. Scheduled to run just one year, it proved so successful that it has played for nearly 60 consecutive summers. So it's like a Shakespeare in the Park kind of thing. One of those like plays, outdoor plays in Central Park or something. Oh, there's a huge Shakespeare festival in a uh, festival southern Southern Oregon. Um, Shakespeare festival. What is that? It's in like somewhere in Southern Oregon, like somewhere you would not expect it. Ashland, Ashland, Oregon, which is, wait, it's in the middle of nowhere. Um, let's see what the Oregon Shakespeare is called. The Oregon Shakespeare Festival. It has offers seven hundred fifty to eight hundred fifty matinee and evening performances in three theaters to an annual audience of about four hundred thousand. That's a lot of people. The festival welcomed its millionth visitor in 1971, 10 millionth in 2001, and 20 millionth in 2015. Depending on the time of year, between 5 and 11 plays are offered in daily rotation six days a week. Wait, so it's been going since 1935? Wow! Begins in February, ends in November. What? So there's like it goes all year all year pretty much. Let's see what the green show is. Since today is St. Patty's Day, 
Let's uh, see what the green show means. In addition to the plays, beginning in 1951, a free outdoor green show drawing audiences of 600 to 1,200, often including non-playgoers, precedes the evening plays from June through September from a modular steel stage with a sprung floor for dancers, uh, a removable wheelchair ramp for performers with disabilities, and built-in storage facilities that eliminate carting equipment from into distant storage facilities four days a week. Um, yeah, so that's what originally it offered Elizabethan, Elizabethan music and dancers. From 1966 to 07, it consisted of three Renaissance-themed shows in rotation, inspired by the plays showing in the Allen Elizabethan Theater. Mm, very interesting. Very interesting. I want to know about the history. I want to know about the origin. Uh, you guys know how I love knowing about the origin, learning about the origin of stuff. So, 1893, the residents of Ashland built a facility to host Chattaqua, Chattaqua events. In its heyday, it accommodated audiences of 1,500 for appearances by the likes of John Philip Sousa and William Jennings Bryan during annual 10-day seasons. In 1917, a new dome structure was built at the site, but it fell into disrepair after the Chattaqua movement died out in the 1920s. Huh. Um... Very interesting. 1952 saw the birth of a tradition of closing the outdoor season with a ceremony in which many company members entered the darkened theater carrying candles and carrying candles. And a company member selected for the honor speaks Prospero's words from Act 4, Scene 1 of The Tempest Beginning. Our revels now are ended. These are actors, as I foretold you, were all spirits and are melted into air into thin air. On completion of the speech, all extinguish the flames and file silently out of the theater. The tradition of opening the outdoor season with the Feast of Will, initially the feasting of the Tribe of Will, was initiated in 1956 in Lithia Park with Miss Oregon and then State Senator Mark Hatfield attending. The city of Portland approached Oregon Shakespeare Festival in late 70s, late 1970s, about joining the art scene there, leading to the building of a new center in Portland. In 1986, OSF was again approached about producing the new Portland Center for Performing Arts, leading to the launch of November 1988 of a season of five plays, including Shaw's Heartbreak House and Shakespeare's Pyracles, Prince of Tyre the first of four productions that transferred to or from Ashland. Very good. Very good. That's just enough. That's just enough information about the old... I think my parents said they want to go to that, though. I would like to go to that. That'd be really fun. I've never really... I mean, I obviously saw, like, the Nutcracker. We went on a vacation... Or not vacation. Um, I guess it is, like... I guess a field trip is a vacation for school. All right, that's going down. I'm going to write that one down. <laughs> I just deem it worthy right away. I don't know. I think it's fake uh, field trip. It's basically just a... <laughs> I think it's kind of funny. Vacation for school. There we go. 
Um, but yeah, we went on vacation for school, on a field trip, to um, the old Nutcracker, the Nutcracker, at the Seattle Center, which is near the Space Center, uh, Space Needle. And they have a giant fountain there that we used to love just running in, and then the fountain would go off, and then you just run out. It's just like, it's like in-ground. It's one of those giant in-ground fountains. Probably like 20, 30 feet to the ground. Super fun. That's what you call an above-ground water park. <laughs> above-ground water park? Um, let's see, where were we here? So the first state-owned art museum is in the country is located in Raleigh. Man, North Carolina's like a lot more artsy and like cultural. They have like a lot more culture than you would expect. Um, like very artsy, lots of I don't know, lots of like movie stuff there, lots of um architecture, tourist stuff. Let's see, Fontana Dam. It's the tallest dam in the eastern U.S. at 480 feet. Many people believe that North Carolina was the first state to declare independence from England with the Mecklenburg Declaration of 1775. Grandfather Mountain, the highest peak in the Blue Ridge, is the only private park in the world designated by the United Nations as having, or as being an international biosphere reserve. Wow. Quite the designation. Uh, the Mile High Swinging Bridge near Linville is 5,305 feet above sea level. The bridge actually hangs about 80 feet above the ground. Okay. Oh my gosh, that just reminds me of uh, Deception Deception Pass. It is, it's down um, by Tacoma, kind of. Yeah, kind of by Tacoma down there. And um, it is a frightening bridge. Let's see. A pair of bridges collectively known as Deception Pass Bridge. Um, let's see how high those are. Because I think they're really high. So they're 28 feet long. 180 feet high. Dang. 20,000 cars daily traffic. That's a lot of cars. Yeah, so those are... Um, Let's see, connects, oh, that's right, this is north, of course, Deception Pass north, I don't know what, I'm thinking of something down by Tacoma, um, okay, yeah, yes, yes, so it connects Oak Harbor, um, Whidbey Island, and Fidalgo Island, very good, that's a beautiful area up there. Beautiful, gorgeous area. Let's see. Let's get back to what? Oh, you guys are going to like this next one. This is a fun one, especially if you're a Back to the Future fan like me. Uh, my favorite movie franchise of all time. You're going to love this one. Pepsi was invented and first served in New Bern in 1898. That's funny. Pepsi. Wait, which Pepsi did they have in... Back to the Future. Didn't they have like a new Pepsi in Back to the Future or something? Something like that. I think they had some sort of like, yep, Pepsi Perfect. It was like a spin on like the new Coke, I think. Yep. Um, 
very good very that's cool beach mountain it is eastern america's highest town at 5506 feet above sea level andrew jackson seventh president of u.s was born in the waxhaws area on the border of north and south carolina Arnold Palmer, recognized as a player whose aggressive play and winning personality raised golf to national attention, honed his skills on the championship golf team at Wake Forest University. Ah, oh, speaking of aggressive play and honing your skills, let's read a little bit more about the uh, aggressive play in night hoops. Carl Duker. Because I got the night hoops fever, baby. Let's see, chapter three of part four. I went downstairs, turned on the television, on the TV, and watched half an hour of some college game on ESPN. I couldn't tell you what the score was or which teams were playing. I had too much nervous energy to stay still. So I flicked the TV off, climbed upstairs to my room, dug my basketball from the closet, and went outside to shoot around. The evening was cold and damp. The mist was so heavy you could see it against the streetlights. I shot around for ten minutes or so. When I clanged a jumper off the back iron, and the ball bounded off the court. As I moved to retrieve it, I spotted something in the deepest corner of our yard, a shape huddled under a little overhang that jutted out from the shed. Is somebody there? I called, holding the ball against my hip. There was no answer, but I noticed the slightest movement. Who's there? Trent stepped out of the darkness. It's me. His face was gray, his hair matted down by the rain, but his eyes it was his eyes that had changed the most. They'd always been alive, sometimes crazy alive, but always alive. Now they look dead. What's up? I said. I don't know, Nick, he answered. You tell me. I knew what he was after. My mom was at the hospital. Michael's going to be okay. He's not going to die or anything. I could see him breathing, long, deep breaths of relief, the gray-white vapor showing against the darkness of the night. One deep breath, and then another. Another. Uh, Trent, I said. What happened? Another long pause, and then his voice. It's crazy. We've had this gun for years, hidden away in the closet. We always talked about going down to a trail some night and shooting it into the water or at a tree or something, but that we never had bullets. That's what Zach was showing me last night, that he'd gotten some bullets. When I wouldn't go with him, he went down there alone. Michael was standing on the bridge, the way he does, and Zach just sort of weighed the gun at him and pulled the trigger. That was the first time he'd ever fired it. The first time... He didn't think it worked. He didn't mean to hurt anybody. It was a fluke, an accident. I made myself say the words. He's got to turn himself in. Trent's eyes narrowed. No way. He's 18 now. You understand what that means? They'll pull him, put him in real prison. Not juvenile hall. Prison with real criminals. He could get killed in there. They won't if he explains what happened. Are you kidding? Nobody would believe him. Our, our only chance is to get away, to get someplace far away where nobody knows us. My body tense. What do you mean, us? You're not going with him, are you? He looked away. I've got to. He's my brother. The wind had come up and a hard rain had started to fall. I shuddered from the cold. Trent had to be frozen to the bone, too. Look, I said. Come inside with me. No one's home. You can sleep downstairs on the sofa. Think things over tonight. Then decide tomorrow. He shook his head. I can't. I've got to meet Zach. Tell him Michael's going to be all right. He thinks he killed him. So tell him. Then come back here, okay? He turned and head back into the darkness. Okay? I called again, but he didn't answer. I returned inside. I remembered what Officer Tomlinson had said. 
while my dad had said, and my eyes were drawn to the telephone. Instead of phoning, I took a long shower. Then I dressed, went downstairs, and wandered around the house, looking out the windows, listening. If I hadn't been listening, I wouldn't have heard it. That's how soft the knock was, but I heard it. When I opened the door, Trent was there. You hungry? I asked once he'd come in. He nodded. Yeah, I guess. I motioned to the kitchen table. Sit down. I'll make you something. After I'd gone into the front room and cranked up the thermostat, I made him a peanut butter sandwich. While he was eating, I boiled water in the microwave, dumped a couple of tablespoons of Nestle's Quick into a cup, and poured the water into it. The heat duct was filling the kitchen with warm air as I handed the steaming drink to a Trent. He held it with two hands, his shoulders hunched, and sipped greedily, drinking as if he'd been rescued from the ocean. When he finished, I led him downstairs and gave him some blankets. Nobody will bother you, I said. I'll wake you early tomorrow morning. Then you can do whatever you want. He nodded, his eyes glazed with exhaustion. Mom and Scott were certain to come home soon. When they did, I had to make sure they didn't go downstairs. So I plunked myself down in the chair by the front door and waited. I found myself falling asleep, then jerking back awake. 12.13, 12.47, 1 o'clock. Finally, at 1.30, the front door opened and my mother and Scott stepped inside. My mother was startled to see me. What are you doing up? I was so tired I could hardly think. I couldn't sleep. I managed. I wanted to hear, you know. My voice trailed off. Michael has developed a blood clot in his leg, Mom said. It happens sometimes in cases like this. They're going to operate tomorrow. If all goes well, he'll be out of the hospital within a week. Scott, Scott brushed by me, yawning. I'm going to bed. You look tired too, I said to Mom. You should go to bed. Suspicion came to her eyes. Nick, what's going on? Has something else happened? No, I just couldn't sleep with you and Scott gone. She stared at me. I forced myself to meet her eyes. All right, we're home now. It's time for all of us to go to bed. This has been a long, long day. It was a long night, too. I suppose I slept some of it, but I was awake more than I was asleep. At five in the morning, I head downstairs. At the bottom stair, I stopped. Trent, I whispered into the darkness. You awake? Yeah, came the reply. A few minutes later, we were both in the kitchen. I stuck some English muffins in the toaster oven and found some vanilla yogurt in the refrigerator. He ate everything I put in front of him, then pulled his coat around him and stood. What now? I asked. He shrugged. Home, I guess. Sleep some more, then talk to the police. Get that over with. After that, I wait. For what? For Zach. He took off last night. Once he gets set up somewhere, he's going to send word. And you're going to go? I told you. He's my brother. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. This next chapter is only like one page, basically. So here we go. Chapter four. That night, Katya came over for dinner. It was a celebration of sorts. The operation to remove the blood clot had been a success. Michael was going to be fine. He looks better already, Katya said. His skin has color again, and he was talking the way he normally does. After dinner, the conversation turned to Zach. They were all sure he'd get, he'd get caught. Scott said he should get 10 years in jail minimum. My mother said uh, thought sending him to jail would make more of a criminal, make him more of a criminal than when he came out. Um, then keep him in jail, Katya declared. Keep him there his whole life. What do you think, Scott said, turning to me. To tell you the truth, I stammered, I've been thinking about Trent and what's going to happen with him. 
Why do you care? Katya asked. I don't know, I said. He's in my classes, on my basketball team, she said, finishing my sentence for me, her voice filled with scorn. His brother almost kills Michael, and all you're worried about is your basketball team? That's not true, I said. I care about Michael. Her eyes flashed. And why haven't you been to see him? Tell me that. You haven't been to the hospital once. You haven't even called. All three of, all three were staring at me now. I felt like a bug under a microscope. I didn't want to be in the way, I managed. Katya tossed her head back and laughed scornfully. Oh, right. Michael had, had so many visitors. His thousands of friends have just filled the hospital. They set up a number system like... My mother interrupted. That's enough, Katya. Katya didn't stop. I'm sorry, Miss Sabbath, but he... You've made your point, Katya. I'll visit Michael tomorrow, I said. I promise. Don't bother, Katya snapped. Jeez. That sounds like a intense dinner conversation over there at the Abbott household. Man. Um, yeah, come on, Nick. Why don't you go visit your old buddy Michael? I think... I kind of agree with Katya at this point. I think he should... Not that he shouldn't be friends with Trent. I think Nick should definitely still be friends with Trent. I don't know what happened to Luke. Luke had disappeared. But um, they don't play basketball together anymore. But... Yeah, come on, Nick. You gotta go visit... Go visit Michael. Alright. That's crazy, though, because... I can totally picture, like, the part of the slough that they're talking about, like, the bridge. I can picture the bridge that he's referring to, right next to Bothell Landing. And there's always, like, a bunch of geese down there. Like, he's right. There's always, like, there's uh, chickens and, like, roosters down there sometimes. And then, like, tons of geese, like, flocks of geese, swans, just all sorts of birds down there. Bothell Landing. Uh, Really nice bike trail, though. Burt Gilman's a very nice bike trail. Alright, here we go. I'm back on... Hiram Rhodes Revels, born in Fayetteville in 1822, was the first African-American member of the United States Congress. Wow, cool. Very cool. Uh, Andrew Johnson started his career as a tailor's apprentice. Oh, that sounds like a great... Like a Daniel Day-Lewis movie. The Tailor's Apprentice. <laughs> that, is, that would be such a... like. You just know that Daniel Day-Lewis would just go whole hog and, like, become a tailor just in real life. He would just start, he would, like, make a a suit company to compete with Men's Warehouse. Just, <laughs> he would go that hard. Because that's what Daniel Day-Lewis does. He brings the heat. Um, either him, the tailor's apprentice, would either be DDL or Christoph, Christoph Waltz. I could see either of those guys being the tailor's apprentice. But they would definitely wear a top hat either way. I feel like that there's a there's a role for an up-and-coming Hollywood actor to be a shoe shiner in that movie, too. <laughs> kind of reminds me of uh, Chris Pratt in Parks and Rec when he was a shoe shiner. Uh, I'm all over the place. Let's see. Taylor's apprentice in Raleigh, North Carolina, and Rose to lead in the reuniting of the nation as the 17th president of the U.S. North Carolina leads the nation in furniture, tobacco, brick, and textile production. Seems like a very productive state. Like, just just diverse, like lots of different industries there. And just productive, lots of culture. 
there's a lot going for North Carolina. Basketball, they got college basketball there is huge, like bigger than anywhere. Uh, speak. Oh wow! Speaking of college basketball, it all comes full circle here. Um, wow! I wonder if they've announced it. I wonder if they announced the NCAA tournament bracket. Let's see. It all comes full circle here at a uh, Starsborn the greatest podcast. <laughs> uh, let's see. They did announce it. Oh, baby, we're gonna go through it. Now we're gonna go through the bracket at the end of the at the end of the podcast. Wow, we gotta do it. Here we go. Let's see what they got. Let's see. Here we go. Let's see. Um, Duke. So we'll do this quickly since we obviously have to wrap this up. <laughs> Duke. I feel like this could be like a. That's okay. We'll just do it quick. We'll talk about more next episode as well. Obviously, Duke, North Carolina Central slash North Dakota State. So that's the playing game there. Uh, VCU, USF or UCF. Battle of the initials. Mississippi State, Liberty. Um, so I should I say the C too? So Duke's a one seed. VCU, UCF's eight nine. Mississippi State's a five seed. Virginia Tech's a four seed. They play St. Louis. Maryland's a six seed. They play Belmont slash Temple. LSU got the three seed. They play Yale. Man. Louisville's seven. Play Minnesota. Okay. Michigan State's the two there. They play Bradley. So it's a Duke and Michigan State and a LSU. Okay. I haven't watched, followed college basketball that closely this year either. But I mean... It's always just kind of on in the background. I mean, just like in the back of my mind. <laughs> but actually, no. To be honest, no. I really have not followed college hoops hardly at all this year. <clears throat> I mean, I check ESPN, like the website, obviously. So I see, like, I'll check the scores. Like, I'll see what happened. But I've barely seen any. But anywho, here we go. Gonzaga's, here's Gonzaga's bracket. They're number one seed here. Play Farley Dickinson slash Prairie View. Then Syracuse Baylor 8-9. Marquette Murray State 5-12. Florida State Vermont 4-13. Buffalo Arizona State slash St. John's 6-11. Texas Tech plays Northern Kentucky 3-14. Okay. This is like live. I feel like I'm reporting breaking news right now. Coming to you live, breaking news right now. On this, you're listening to the podcast like ten years from now. You're like, there's been like ten March Madnesses since then. I already know. Well, if you're like, I already know that Gonzaga won in 2019. Let's hope you say that. I already know that the Zags took it all. Um, yes, yes. So, Texas Tech, Northern Kentucky, three fourteen, Nevada. Wow, I'm surprised Nevada's a seven seed. That's like no respect to Nevada. Because they're 29 and 4. They had a good year. They're 7 seed. They were they were ranked most of the year. Uh, Florida's 10 seed. Uh, and then Michigan's a 2 seed in that conference. They played Montana. The Grizz. Must have won the Big Sky tournament there. Let's see. The Virginia Cavaliers are the 1 seed. They played Gardner-Webb. Ole Miss, Oklahoma, 8-9. Wisconsin, Oregon. So Oregon plays. Okay, that's like a mashup. That's a matchup that always seems to happen in March Madness. I swear, like, Wisconsin always plays Oregon. 
whether it's like football or basketball, it just seems like those teams play a lot. Uh, Kansas State, like I, I swear they played in like the didn't they play in the championship game in football a few years back? I think they did. Uh, Kansas State plays UC Irvine. Oh, UC Irvine, the um, the Anteaters, one of the greatest mascots ever. Um, actually, the Banana Slugs is probably a better one. I think UC Irvine's. They might not be actually. There's definitely one that UCs is the Anteaters. Um, Villanova fell to the six seed. They play St. Mary's. Purdue plays Old Dominion. Uh, Cincinnati plays Iowa. And then Tennessee's the two seed. I wonder if Tennessee must have beat LSU today. Or um, Auburn. Tennessee was playing Auburn today in the SEC Championship. I was watching that this morning uh, after, during my beautiful, my beautiful walk. I went up to the Student Union building, the Cub, watched some college hoops, watched a bit of the first half of the championship game at the SEC, Tennessee-Auburn. I'm guessing Tennessee won that game since they got the two seed. Um, okay, and then the final bracket here, North Carolina is the other one seed. They play Iona, Utah State plays Washington, the Huskies. Okay, that's the easy, they should, the Huskies should win that. They should beat Utah State but then get destroyed by North Carolina in the second round. Um, Auburn, yeah, Auburn fell all the way to five, so they must have lost. They play New Mexico State. Kansas plays Northeastern. Iowa State plays Ohio State. Okay. Wow, Ohio State made it with only 19 wins. You don't see teams make it with under 20 wins that often, unless they win their tournament, uh, conference tournament. Houston. Wow, Houston's 31-3, and three, and they're a three-seed. Dang, that's high for them. See, Houston, 31-3, they got the three-seed. Then Nevada, Nevada 29-4, they got the seven-seed. Those teams are kind of comparable. They're way different in the rankings. Come on, committee. Where's your head at, committee? <laughs> and then um, I'm just repping Nevada because I like Reno. My mom actually went to... The University of Nevada in Reno for like one semester, I think, either a semester or a year. But yeah, she was there. And I've been to Reno. I told you guys about that. Went there, drove there, road trip with my mom and sister to watch my sister play volleyball back in, dang, that was like a long time ago. That was like 2008. Dang. Or 07, maybe. All right. Let's let's wrap up this NCAA tournament here. Um, so Iowa State, Ohio State, Houston, Georgia State, Woford plays Seton Hall, and then Kentucky is the number two seed there. They play Abilene Christian. Um, okay, so what's my first? Let's just first glance, final four at a first glance. I will say, just right off the bat, final four, first glance. Let's give it Gonzaga, obviously. Gotta say Gonzaga just because we're rooting for him. Um, we'll go Michigan State just because Tom's Tom Izzo's always in the mix there. We'll go. I think Tennessee looks pretty good. I don't know much about Purdue. Um, let's we'll go Tennessee. We'll go um because I don't have a lot of confidence in Virginia really as a one seed. I'm I'm saying like I watched a lot of college basketball this year, but I really haven't. But um. I guess I'm just going off who was good in, like, 2007. 
know what I mean? You know, when you just go off like who was good in the sport when you used to follow it. So based on who was good in college basketball in 2006, um, I remember Tennessee used to have, because I watched Tennessee play Gonzaga at one of the battle in Seattle's. And they had like four guys with the last name Smith. They all had the last name Smith. It's crazy. It's so confusing. And everyone on their team wore a headband too. It was weird. So for that reason, let's give it to Tennessee for for that bracket, and then for that bottom right bracket, let's give it to I want to say Kentucky, just because it's definitely not Houston. That's kind of like they're like the George Mason, like out of nowhere. Uh, let's just say Kansas, just because Kansas underperformed so much. This regular season, so we'll just guess it. They'll bring it. They'll bring the heat in March. So for your impromptu Final Four, just off the bat, on a whim, I'm saying, because I don't like to say all one seeds. That's too boring to just go all chalk. But I will go Rock Chalk Jayhawk. We'll go Kansas, Tennessee, uh, Michigan State, and Gonzaga. There we go. So that will be the only... The only one seed I'll give it to will be the, the Zags. And then we'll say um, we'll say Gonzaga beats Michigan State. And then Kansas beats Tennessee. And then Gonzaga beats Kansas in the championship game. We'll just predict a Gonzaga championship just for fun. Because we want it to happen. It's, sometimes it's fun to predict. To, to predict something that you're rooting for. Then just root for it real hard. All right. We've been all over the place. I'm I'm so happy we gotta we gotta slide that NCAA basketball tournament bracket talk in there. That was fun. That timed out perfectly. Happy I remembered that. Um let's just wrap up Lizzie Banks right here. Wrap up Lizzie Banks and call it an episode, baby. So T V series twenty seventeen, another Wet Hot American Summer, ten years later, plays Lindsay for five episodes. Curb Your Enthusiasm, she's herself for one episode. Hilarious show, especially if you like Seinfeld, you'll love Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, it's, like, it's like a Parks and Rec version of Seinfeld. The Magical Wand Chase is a TV movie from 2017. She plays Bird Lady. It's the accomplice to Bird Man, Bird Lady. Wow, I didn't know there's a Pitch Perfect 3 Maybe that's what I've been watching on TV, <laughs> on FXX. Maybe I've been watching Pitch Perfect 3 instead of Pitch Perfect 2. Uh, she plays Gail. Uh, Maroon 5 featuring Cardi B, Girls Like You, a video short. Plays She plays Girl, 2018. Oh, she was in this movie that we talked about in the Melissa McCarthy episode. One that got slammed by the critics. The Happy Time Murders. She plays Janie. Uh, video short, 2018. Emmett's Emmett's Holiday Party, a Lego movie short. Plays Lucy slash Wildstyle. She is in the Lego Movie 2, the second part, uh, which came out in 2019. Wildstyle slash Lucy. She is in something called Signal Hill. Plays Mary Newswinder. Newswinder. Let's see. Yeah. She's in... Uh, Something called Brightburn 2019. And, um, wow. I'll read you a couple more fun facts from North Carolina. 
the state motto is to be rather than to seem. And it's esse quam videre, to be rather than to seem. I like that. The town of Wendell, uh, town, the town of Wendelltown was named for the American writer Oliver Wendell Holmes. Pete Holmes's grandpa. Great grandpa. North Carolina was the first state in the nation to establish a state museum of art. See what I'm saying? Very artsy down in North Carolina. Good place for a painter to live, I guess. I think Asheville, I've heard Asheville is known for having like an amazing like arts, arts scene, a burgeoning arts district. Um, North Carolina was one of the first states in the U.S. to establish a state symphony. The North Carolina Symphony, founded in 1943, currently performs nearly 185 full orchestra concerts each year. It's very artsy. Love the arts. North Carolina has the largest state-maintained highway system in the U.S. The state's highway system currently has 77,400 miles of roads. Just like Indianapolis. We were just talking about how many highways running out of uh, Indianapolis. Um, let's see. Want to see what? Okay. Okay. The General Assembly of 1987 adopted milk as its official state beverage. Hmm. The oldest town in the state is Bath, incorporated in 1705. Uh, located in northeastern North Carolina on the Albemarle Pamlico Peninsula, Columbia is on the eastern shore of the Scoopernong River. The Indians called the area the place of the sweet bay tree. The sweet bay tree. Um, White Lake near Elizabethtown is very unique in that it has a white sandy bottom and is blessed with crystal clear waters. It has also been labeled as the nation's safest beach. It's truly a child's paradise in that there are no currents, no tides, no hazardous depressions, or real dangers of any kind to swimmers. Hmm, that's nice. And finally, fact number 50 out of 50 here for fun facts. Fun facts, North Carolina, 50states.com. North Carolina uh, has 1,500 lakes of 10 acres or more in size and 37,000 miles of freshwater streams. So it's like the Minnesota of the South. I had no idea that North Carolina was the land of 1,500 lakes. Southern Minnesota. Um, wow, let's do it. Let's wrap. All right, here's Signal Hill. I wanted to say what Signal Hill was, the uh, Elizabeth Thanks movie. It's a drama about a lawyer, Johnny Cochran, takes on police brutality case 1981 in which a young college student dies under suspicious circumstances in police custody. Jamie Foxx and Anthony Mackie and uh, Liz, Lizzie B. Got <clears throat> power trio right there. And then what's Brightburn? Brightburn is a drama horror sci-fi. What if a child from another world crash landed on Earth, but instead of becoming a hero to mankind, he proved to be something far more sinister. This sounds like it should be like a comedy too. It should be one of those horror comedy movies, but I guess it's not. And um, we made it, guys. We did it. You guys sticked with me till the end. You sticked with me. Thank you so much. Um, we made it to 
Lizzie B's final credit on her IMDb, number 89 of 89, Charlie's Angels, 2019. Action, adventure, comedy, but the plot is unknown other than it's a reboot of the 2000 action comedy based on the 1970s TV series. So it's a reboot of a reboot. That's what we do in Hollywood these days. Reboot, reboots. I'd love it. We did it, guys. We made it through Lizzie B. Let's uh, give her top three, bomb three. Do some plugs and uh, call it. Call to epi, an episode. Um, I, th- I want to say Spider-Man. Let's say the first Spider-Man. Let's say 40-year-old virgin. This is top three. And let's say role models. That's a good top three. Um, yeah, Spider-Man, four-year-old version, and role models. And for her bottom three, although I do like the Hunger Games movies, obviously. Those are great. And Pitch Perfect uh, 2 or 3, whichever one I was watching on FXX. <laughs> um, as for her bottom three, let's do movie 43, of course. For some reason, I just that movie just rubs me the wrong way. I don't know why. Seems like they weren't even trying, though. Like, I just don't like how they roped, like, so many successful actors into, like, a movie like that, you know? <laughs> like, I feel like if they got all those great actors, they should produce a great movie. So, movie 43, let's do... Oh, let's do Meet Dave and Meet Bill. <laughs> there we go. We'll do both of those. All right, wow. I can't believe we did it. I'm still holding it down here. The Stars Born HQ. Still looking out the window at my beautiful icy blue skies. They're my beautiful icy blue skies. <laughs> I'm like, I got a god complex all of a sudden. Um, it's beautiful out here in Pullman, uh, across the street from Washington State University. Of course, check out my books. Um, I'm an author, living in Pullman. You guys know this from the beginning of the episode, unless you tuned in midway. Find my books on Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble. Sponge Cake, a mostly made-up story about a completely insane town and what's in the fridge. Uh, check those out. I'm super proud of those. Um, check out my blog, thegoat1.blogspot.com. My website, christtheauthor.com. Follow me on Twitter at christtheauthor8 and Instagram at chrisarneson8. And thank you so much for share, share, sharing the podcast with a friend, family member. member. <laughs> I had trouble saying member there. Man, I'm getting loopy here at the end. Um, yeah, share with people. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I love it. Thank you so much for building the this great Milky Way of starfishes. It's forming beautifully. So I'm so happy. This is like the most exciting time of a podcast is right now, right in the beginning. This These first few weeks are in this sweet spot. We're building it. We're doing it big. We're figuring out what A Star is Born is, what it isn't, what it wants to be, what it needs to be, what, and what we're doing here. I love it. I'm so happy. I'm so happy about it. Oh, man. It's been fun. I hope you guys are having as much fun listening as I'm having doing it. It's been a blast. Uh, I like just laughing, just get some laughs and you know, just it's fun. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing. Let's uh, Let's do it. Closing time, time for you to go home to the places where you 
belong. I know who I want to take me home. I know who I want to take me home. I know who I want to take me home. Take me home. home, home. Closing time. Time for you to go home to the places where you be, be Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining me for yet another exciting episode of Stars Born. Um, I've had so much fun being your host today. Uh, I've had so much fun being Chris Arneson today talking to y'all, um, laughing, um, talking about Lizzie B, all the great stuff she's done, talking about North Carolina, that's something I want to do in future episodes, is talk more about the state, I think that was a lot of fun, reading, looking more into some fun facts for the state, so look forward to that in, uh, in the future of A Star is Born, um, thank you, thank you, and uh, I hope y'all are doing great, I hope you have a great day, have a great night. Thanks for listening, and I love you.